This is a podcast. I'm a podcast. I'm a Torigan, and you've already heard Teresa Stoddard. Oh, I didn't know we were recording. Do you want to leave that in? Do we want to leave it in? I don't know. Do they want to see what crazy shenanigans we get up to? Oh, hey. Life's short. Let's let's see. Unless you're a time lord. Crazy shenanigans in all time and space. Obviously, I'd be the best companion, except for I'm not really good at that whole, like, running thing. So, clearly, there's got to be some sort of Time Lord technology that could kind of, like, give me the equivalent of a segue without having one. So, I could just kind of zoom off. I think what they'll do is just, um, plot. Because that is usually the number one way we figure out things. It's just, like, the magic of plot. Um, like, sure, she ran. Don't show it on screen, though. If you haven't figured out by now, um, or from the title of the podcast, um, or if this is your first episode, welcome. Uh, we are a podcast, which is a passion project of both myself and Teresa on all of the pop culture that we uh, consume, like to consume. Like Hoover's. <laughs> Uh, it's just like who verse um, <laughs> from uh, moisturized television <laughs> to movies to books. Uh, and this particular episode is kind of a special one for me because I would say of all things that I would be able to spend like a good hour and a half to two hours on, let's say, like maybe a podcast medium discussing, I would say this might be one of the ones I am most qualified for, considering about the all the hours I've spent watching, thinking about, creating in my head. Meeting Capaldi. Yeah, meeting three of the four, five modern doctors. Who have you met? I've met uh, David Tennant. What? You've never known that? No, I would be saying I would be name dropping Tenet all day. I don't name drop, but like he's just such a beautiful person. Matt Smith and obviously um, Capaldi. Matt Smith is clearly from House of Dragons. Uh, check out our House of Dragon pod coming out sometime in 2024. Uh, today. Did you see that tweet where? Uh, Mr. Game of Thrones himself was like, why do you guys want it to come? You're going to cry. <laughs> You're talking about George Railroad Martin? Yeah. Okay. Railroad? It's RR, <laughs> but I like putting random. Like, I thought he was um, George Pirate Martin. R. That's good. That's pretty no, good. That's pretty good. No. Okay. The uh, Pirate Planet, by the way, one of the uh, few episodes of Doctor Who that Still hasn't been uncovered, so there's a little connection there. I know you're listening, uh, Moffat, Russell T. Davies, um, at all. Yeah, right. Um, so what if we got a call that was like, actually, we need you to help storyboard Doctor Who? You know, how many different Doctor Who podcasts are out there, okay? But you never know the reach we'll get, true. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of good ones. Uh, 
maybe I'll give him a shout at the end. But today, um, we are going to be all things Doctor Who. Uh, you're going to actually get to enjoy us. Are we releasing both of them today, or one of them today, one of them another day? Both of them today. Okay, so this is our preview podcast. So we will be talking about the premiere. We've actually already seen the premiere, but we're going to try to watch it again. Try to watch it again? We're going to watch it again <laughs> uh, before we, because I want to watch it one more time. I've seen, okay, so let's let's talk about our experience with Doctor Who. Um, and I'll start with you for who. Okay, first. so I had a friend who was really into Doctor Who, and I tried a few times, just couldn't really do it. I think it's back to like I was young, Chris Eggleston wasn't. And how he, young were you? I don't know, like, do you remember what year <laughs> this places you at? Um, it is pre Chuck. Wow, okay, so you. Someone tried to get you on the on early. Yeah, so I would say two thousand. Okay, it was. So the new Who came out in two thousand five. Okay, so it was post, post, Joe. Okay. Pre Chuck, or maybe coinciding with the early days, which would make me twenty one. Wow, that is really young. So, so was, I was not a fully formed human yet. You do that at 24 to 25 years old. Um, I'm 35. I don't know if I'm still. I hated Rose because society's like hate pretty girls. Eccleston was just meh. Who's this old man on the screen? Not into it. And like, I already knew by that time that, doc, that David Tennant, Dr. Tennant, <laughs> was the doctor. And I was like, where the fuck is he at? Like, Okay. And, like, so I didn't quite understand the lore. I didn't know, like, quite how they would change over. I didn't know about regeneration. I saw a few. I was bored. I did see that Are You My Mummy, which is why it comes in at one of my choices today. Um, that one caught my attention because, like, there was gas masks grown out of people's faces. That kind of causes you to pause. And You're a big fan of body horror. I wouldn't say a big fan, but it just fascinates me. So you're I'm maybe not a big I don't, fan. So I don't like love it in the way that some horror folks love it. Um, but I'd say it at least captures your interest. I think it's very much like that dark part of me that writes stuff like that is kind of like seeing that from somebody else. And also like when you think of Doctor Who, you think more science fiction than horror, I would say. And even though there are quite some scary monsters, but it still is that science fiction umbrella instead of, like, we're watching Silent Hill, the oh, video game. Okay, I see what you mean, I see what you mean. Um, so, do you remember, was this, was, was Doctor Who on Netflix? Um, was it on BBC? It was Netflix. Okay. And um, I was just slogging. It had taken me a couple times, but like that time I was finally like, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to do it. I need to be there for the memes. That was when memes were starting to get popular. Well, Tumblr culture, too. I didn't like actively participate in Tumblr, but I had friends who did. I'd I say was, the same thing, but like. I was more like um, watching things on 
like seeing what people make on deviant art and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And yeah. I was also really enjoying FML. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the other one? Text from last night. Yeah, and there was like another one, I think. Well, it wasn't like Fuck My Life, but God, those were great. Um, this was like probably 2008 to 2012 land, that four year stretch yeah. where uh, like you stumble upon. It was, yeah, it was like, I would say that I, it was 2000, probably. 10 is when it really was when I, I 2010 started. when Tenant yeah. was the 10th Doctor. Yeah. So I couldn't have any of the other um, nonsense. Then I saw Tenant and was like, okay, if he's in this, I'll watch. Like, I like this guy's energy. I still hated Rose. When she got left on the beach, I was like, good. I don't care. Also, like, I think even back then I found a Doctor companion relationship in that manner very like icky which strikes me as strange because at that time i was like pro jason jason bateman and juno like problematic podcast yes the let's get canceled broadcast no no it's it's more like a warning because that's what we were taught as as young girls that like oh you're not like the other girls. You're so mature for your age, which is... So Doctor Who. No, don't, <laughs> don't cut me off. This is important. And I will not be cut off by a man. But... A grown man does not think that Period. a 16... Yes. A 16-year-old child is mature for their age. They know that they don't have the life experience to realize that, hey, the reason you're not with anybody your own age is because you're a creep. You're a predator. Um, I could do this. I could do a whole podcast on this. Maybe I'll have my third podcast um, to include this. But, uh, yeah. So I made it my new thing to add Doctor Who to my lexicon. And never really looked back. So you didn't like it, but then liked it, and then watched it all on Netflix. Do you remember, did you fall off at some point? Did you watch it all the way through? I think I mostly watched it all the way through. Um, did you know anything about Doctor Who? Before starting. Yeah. What did you None know? None of the specifics, but I knew they traveled through time and space. I knew they okay. had a police box, a okay. TARDIS. Um, so I'd say I knew, like, the basics. But I wasn't quite sure how the regeneration worked, how that, like... Were you aware that multiple yes. actors... Okay. Yes. So I wasn't quite sure how that fit together. Like... All right, and then you watched it, and you're kind of were able to obviously piece it together. Yeah, and the thing about me is, like, I'll be honest, I don't love every Tenet episode. There are some slogs. Oh, yeah, there's Um, there's bad episodes in every single one of the Doctors. And I do remember it took me three or four times to watch Papaldi's intro episode. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember when we 
when we met. That was one of the things you told me about. Because I was like, okay, this really old guy. I'm not a big fan of his intro episode. I think maybe it's one of the is weakest. Is there like a dinosaur? Like, there is definitely a dinosaur. Hokey, like, but now, and that was a really interesting part of this that I didn't really expect is viewing it now at 33, re-watching these episodes, I've got different things out of them. Mm-hmm. I feel differently about almost everybody in the series. Now I like Rose. She was, like, hilarious, and she had lots of, like, sassy quips, which I guess read back to me at that point as, like, quote-unquote bitchy, because that was just how I was like raised by society and then now this time through i was like eccleston can get it like um okay um my feelings haven't changed on tenet he's great um matt smith though he used to be my second or third doctor back and forth you know I would maybe put him near the bottom of my list now because he's just kind of annoying. Well, he's too exuberant, like a very caffeinated puppy or something. We'll rank doctors later on. Uh, that'll be part of our personal uh, feelings, not obviously like anything official. It's official for us. That is true. This is the official uh, podcast. But any, so Doctor you did... Who preview episode. Anything, um, so you didn't really know much going in. You knew that different actors played the Doctor, okay? Now I'm going to try. And I also knew, like, the old Who existed and that new okay. Who was a, a a thing that came back. And, like, I was like, well, maybe I'll like you that. You knew this before you watched the episodes? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm going to try. You're like, I have always known I was born with Doctor Who in my eyeballs. Actually, no. I, I, I'm hoping maybe I will uh, surprise College. you and maybe the audience. Um, I started getting into Doctor Who around the t- after the 50th anniversary. Uh, around the 50th anniversary, which took place November 23rd, 2013, because we just had the 60th anniversary. So I got into it before you. You got into it way before wow. me. Wow. I told you it might surprise you. Um, so here's here's my award-winning breakdown of Doctor Who. Uh, and then I'll explain my background around No. I want your background first. Okay. Well, it helps enforce. Um, you, want, you want me to explain my background first? Yes. And I'll explain Doctor Who what it is. Um, so I had a few internet friends. Who liked Doctor Who? Um, I it was way after college that I got into it, um, and it was something that was on Netflix. But it was already by that time about seven or eight seasons deep. Um, people were like, "If you watch it, you will love it. If you watch it, you will love it." And That's so similar to what I got. when people tell me that, my first instinct is I don't want to watch it. Um, Except for me. Then well, we usually experience things together. Um, I think I IMDb'd it or I looked it up or I saw that there are different faces of the Doctor, but I thought it transpired the way 
kind of the way James Bond does. Or they just chose a new one. They after just choose a, a new time. one after a certain time, and that there's no real. And what really, what really shook me, and something I really want to iterate, Doctor Who is a show that is about one thing and one thing only, and that is change. Doctor Who is a show that is about what happens in different stages of a person's life and the different things that you go through depending on what you did beforehand. Um, going in, I obviously did not know any of this. I did not know that they were companions. I did not realize... I knew that they there was time travel that was a part of it. Um, I knew that there were several actors at the time. I thought there were only three different actors in all of Doctor Who because I thought Doctor Who started in 2005. Um, matter of fact, it wasn't until I think one of the Christmas specials in which they showed multiple different actors that portrayed the Doctor that I even knew that there was Doctor Who before the year 2005. Um, so I think I actually started Doctor Who probably in 2014, 2015 was when I first started watching it. I watched... That's a funny thing about you. What about it me? It kind of reminds me of how you went from, I don't watch Avenger movies, right. to like, you know all of it now. Well, that's... And like, I didn't watch Doctor Who until 2015, but now Doctor Who is mine, and you've received Doctor Who Mad Libs for every oh gift... God occasion from everybody in the whole world because they're like oh man you like doctor who yeah and i do and i i still feel like i go through i, I think that's part of like the hyper focus of like adhd yeah because it like it becomes your personality slightly i guess so um but anyway enough with the psychoanalysis just my experience with it um so i watched i watched it all like Rapid succession, and then my mom I was her. interested, and I rewatched them all with her. Um, I remember Eccleston, her favorite. No, her Capaldi, Tenant, Tenant, she loves Tenant. Good choice. Um, I forgot to text her and tell her that the new episode just aired. Yeah, I'm very happy. Um, so. Uh, you know, I rewatched it twice before seeing anything live. So I feel like a lot of, I think I, I rewatched now, maybe some of the episodes we just saw, maybe it's my fifth or sixth time watching it. Oh, no. Um, I never really got around to the rewatch unless I forced somebody to watch, um, Vincent and the Doctor. Hmm. Yeah. Because if I'm trying to get somebody in, it's either that one. I love it that um, one. It's a really great trumpet. Yeah. Um, I've done Blink before. Also not a bad one. Because all I want to do in life is to make people watch what I watch and be like, see, look. Well, we make a podcast about that. Look, look how much you love it now. Look how important I am to you. So after I... So then I started with... Uh, I remember the very first episode that I watched live because it was back when I had cable um, was... Wow, really dating yourself there. Yeah. 
was uh, Kill the Moon, which is perhaps one of the worst episodes of Doctor Who ever, where basically the moon, there's a whole abortion conversation involving the moon. Um, well, and, when I think about abortion, I think about the moon. And I think that it is, um, I think it's funny that that was my first live one. So Gopaldi was my first live, like, week-to-week waiting episode by episode. Um, I also had no idea the concept that, like, oh, sometimes Doctor Who doesn't air in a year. Or, oh, there are only about 10 episodes. And this was back when, like, most shows had, like, like, had, like, 20 to 22 episodes. And then, so, like, whenever there would be a big, 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 big uh, hiatus, I would look through certain methods to find ways to watch uh, classic Who episodes, because I had learned that there were other Doctors beforehand. There were eight Doctors. I think I'll never watch those, just for the fact that they can't give me all the episodes, and that pisses me off. That some don't exist anymore. Mm. That's so sad. Well, from the third Doctor on, Pertwee, all the way through, every episode exists. It's only the first and second, and it's because BBC is a cheap bastards, and they like re-recorded their own film stuff over because they didn't want to buy more reels. Real buy more reels. There's also talk that there was like apparently a fire at one point, and that's where they had the backup reels. But I think it's a hundred percent because they didn't want to use more reels, so they just recorded over stuff. So most of the stuff that we see that is um, the classic episodes from the first and second Doctor is because they found them in like different stations that had like recorded them. Like there's like a station in Canada that had. Re- recorded them and all that so for those who so that's really my whole um experience with doctor who um you know went back watched a lot of class i had not finished the whole run of classic doctors um just because you know like life gets in the way way. gets in the way sometimes of doing finds a way um but I will probably touch on them just lightly on this episode. Uh, but the major focus will be new Doctor Who. Doctor Who is, um, for those who've never seen an episode, uh, I don't know what you're doing. You can watch them all. All the old episodes are on Max. Um, and the um, so you can watch from Eccleston's Doctor, all the way through Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. And so the reason why we're saying different actors is because um, it's a show where a um, this character that is an alien who presents as a humanoid uh, has a time machine and also um, named a TARDIS, which stands for Time and relativity relativity dimensions in space, um, which the very, very first companion, which is the Doctor's granddaughter, Susan Foreman, um, states in the first episode, uh, it is supposed to be a chameleon. 
Honestly, the biggest reason is because they BBC had no money and they had no money to do different props. But the whole idea was it was supposed to blend into whatever like atmosphere. And mm -hmm. in 1963, a police box was common. So it was something that people would find. But then when you walk in, it's a gigantic spaceship because it's bigger on the inside. I'm looking right now in our room and I see we have a cup that is covered that is a TARDIS. We have some nice TARDIS wall hangings that are really bookends. We have a decoration Doctor Who pipe, a sonic screwdriver, David Tennant's head for coffee, salt and pepper shakers. You had the same cup as me. Very hard to drink out of a square cup. Come on. Um, so, yeah. We've got the Whoology book over there that I found at the Dollar Tree. It was a really good one. Hooniverse over there. Like, examinate Doctor Who quiz book. And don't forget. Yes. Don't forget the oh, Mad Lips. Yes. Um, I can't honestly, forget it. Honestly, but honestly, he would start getting so mad every time he received them. And, like, part of me would be I like... I mean, they weren't bad. It's just I had, no, like, I think six of them. It's just, it's just, like, it's just one of those things. Like, we have Doctor Who towel. We have... I've got maybe two or three blankets. So you better charge Yes, we've got the Doctor Who Starry Night mashup. And then we've got a Starry so, yeah. Night mashup. Here's our tour. But I'm just saying, like, Doctor Who has a very strong hold on us. Yes. And is one of the things early on that we really bonded over. Yes. That's true. Um, so, again, um, it's a like I said, it's a show. This man, his name is the Doctor. We never find out his name, although that's sometimes a part of a plot. His um, name is Sexy, right? That is the TARDIS's name. Well, I was just being silly. Oh. Um, so he ever since so 1963 or she, or she the doctor, um, they are uh always traveling with a companion. Um and it that has changed several times, depending a lot of it's on the actors, actresses' availability. Uh, most of them human companions, although in certain cases they have non-human companions. I'm looking at K9, for example. Um, they uh, have common enemies. They have the Daleks, the Cybermen, the Centaurans, Jadun. Um, Tell me what you told them about the... Um... Daleks. They didn't oh, want yes. to bring them back. Well, when we get to the specific episode, I'll bring them up. I'll mention that. Yeah, when we get to the specific oh episode. Oh my god, just mention it. Well, uh, I just, I want to explain what Doctor Who's about oh first. Oh my god, I think they got it, Doctor. <laughs> For those of you wondering, this is not a fast-paced medical drama either. It is not a PH, not a MD. Um, I would say he's a PhD though, and she's a PhD. Uh, yeah. Well, there's this whole there's a whole conversation that Pertwee has as the third Doctor, where apparently I think he got a PA no an MD. Oh. 
at, at uh, it is a medical Alaska. show. Yeah, is yeah. Like he got a medical license at some point in like the late eighteen hundreds. Just to be cheeky. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's several the the main component of this this show that's maybe most fascinating is not only do the actors change, but starting with the third doctor going to the fourth doctor, they named it regeneration. Before then, they called it something called renewal. Um, in which between the second and third doctor, there was a forced regeneration. Um, uh, <laughs> so the third doctor on the regenerate, there's a regeneration. And I think one of the, maybe one of my favorite doctors and one of the hardest ones to look up to see, because they have the least amount of episodes is the second doctor, because without the second doctor, I don't think doctor who works because Patrick Troughton, from going for William Hartnell to Patrick Troughton, not only did he understand the assignment, but he created the lesson. Because without... What, what's unique about the show is that when not only do the actors change to play the same character, but, like, example, using James Bond, like when a different actor or any other types of shows, like, where they recast the character, for the most part, that character is the same exact one. There's really not much of a personality difference. Oh, true. And this explores different facets of the Doctor's personality. Every single actor who plays the Doctor does something different. There's a different accent. There's different clothes that they wear. So they imbue it with something uniquely their own. Their own, yes. They deliver something to the role that's their own. Now, it also might have to do with whoever's the showrunner at the time whoever their companions are at the time, whatever has impacted. But every single actor who has played the Doctor since Troughton all the way through to David Tennant again, they have imbued something completely different to the role. Uh, again, accents, clothing, companions, um, catchphrases. Allons-y. Geronimo. Um, and all of them being very specifically unique to the to the specific um actor, and and so I figured our listeners didn't want to hear Bowie just eating the lava rock. Yeah, yeah, good idea. <laughs> um, so that's I mean that's Doctor Who in a nutshell. He's a man or a woman in a box, traveling through time, fixing things sometimes, sometimes not. And it is, it's wonderful. What I love about the show, too. Great family show. It is a great family show. It was original intention back in 1963 were to create um, these historicals so that children could learn about history from this television show. And I have to say, when they're doing something that is on planet and something that we're familiar with, it's a whole new level of the show than when they're, you know, off on moon abortions and stuff. Well, I think it's a show that's a great 
blank canvas as a writer where they give you a concept, whether it could be a high concept or a low concept, and they say, hey, we're now in a different place or a different place in time or a different place in the universe. Do what, do whatever story you want. So this story could be um, high, high science fiction. It could be fantasy. It could be um, a period it. drama. <laughs> it could be horror. I'm looking at you, the silence and the mascherado, dada. I never can say mascherado. What? The Monstera? Monstrata? What is it? The Vasta Morada? Vasta Morada. Yes. Vasta Morada. Okay. Don't be rude. To oh, me, I'm not being rude. I'm not being rude. I was just wondering <laughs> how many times you're going to repeat it. Vasta Morada. No, is it Morada or Nerada? Vasta Morada. Okay. Okay. So. Um, it's a, shadows. it's a, it's a show that can be a blank canvas for a writer where anybody can put whatever script they want for whatever the doctor to do. Uh, he also, not only does he have companions or she, or she have companions, but there's also specific tools that they're equipped with. They have the sonic screwdriver, sonic sunglasses, we also have the psychic paper. Did you know that the psychic paper was only introduced with modern Doctor Who? And the reason why Russell T. Davies, who was the first showrunner, who we'll definitely be talking about a lot, um, he didn't, he, a lot of the plot for a lot of the serials back then, because most of the episodes of modern Doctor Who is either a one-off episode or part of a larger arc. A lot of the episodes for for the original series, all of those um, shows, like it would be, let's say, we did an episode in ancient Rome. Rome, the Romans would be six episodes long, and they'd be half hours, and they were called serials. So it'd be like the Romans, then it would be the Aztecs, or then it'd be like the Daleks Invasion of Earth. The Daleks Invasion of Earth is about ten episodes long. Crack crimes. Okay. Um, so a lot of that is the doctor getting captured, the doctor escaping capture, or the doctor having to prove their own um, why they can be where they're at. So Russell T. Davies went, hey, what if we just gave him psychic paper that said, hey, I'm supposed to be here because it says so. So instead of avoiding, like, 20 to 30 minutes of the doctor proving his worth, they're just like, hey, I'm the inspector general, I'm this politician, I'm your boss, We're using the, the psychic yeah. paper. Uh, there's also vastly other things that the doctor uses, but it's mostly uh, intelligence that um, the doctor uses to escape situations. It's intelligence and, you know, plot magic. Charm. Um, so we're again fixing fixating mostly on the modern doctors and the showrunners of modern who if you want classic who i'm sure there's plenty of other really great podcasts you can listen to i thought other podcasts didn't exist they don't but in a different time they might have um so what we did as an exercise is we both uh 
we used every single one of the modern doctors. So this is Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, Jodie Whittaker, and the showrunners. So we start with Russell T. Davies, who goes all the way through the end of Tennant's run. Then we have Stephen Moffat, who goes through all the way from Matt Smith to um, the end of Capaldi's run. And then we have Chris Chibnall, who does all of Jodie Whittaker's doctors. I mean, all of Jodie Whittaker's doctor. Um, and we picked two to three. Maybe we snuggled, I mean, smuggled in a four to we fifth. snuggled them? A four That's to fifth. Cute. A four to fifth episode with maybe one or two of the doctors that we really wanted to use because they a great highlight episode. So we're going to go pretty much chronologically from nine all the way till the end of 13's run. And we're going to highlight specific things we notice about each doctor. We'll also at the end probably go through our rankings of who our favorite doctors are and why. And also through and explain maybe our favorite companions, maybe our favorite fits. Maybe we thought, you know, like who wore it best, maybe our favorite enemies. Um, but we thought that, that would be the best way to illustrate the uh, best part of the Doctor. So I'm going to start with uh, you picked for Eccleston the are you my mummy are you my mummy which is the two episode arc there uh which also was this is during russell t davies run so russell t davies big fan of the show mm -hmm. um and this is a show that had been off the air i think 1980 oh gosh i want to i know it's before i was born i think six eighty six 86 or 87 was the last episode of the seventh doctor in 96, America, not the UK, America, fuck yeah. decided that they were going to do a Doctor Who revival. And they used Paul McGann, who is an excellent, excellent doctor. Uh, he did... Um, the, is that even legal for America to do Doctor Who? They use all British actors still. Uh, but uh, one day, maybe as an exercise, we should watch the Doctor Who movie. It is, he's a great doctor, but the, the movie is very suspect. Um, so that was done, I think, 94, 95. And we didn't see Doctor Who again until Russell T. Davies, um, who's done other things like uh, Queer as Folk. Um, he also. A uh, big, massive, super fan of Doctor Who um, decided he's going to revive the show. Uh, and he does so. He is a Welshman. So uh, he bases, I believe, in Cardiff, Wales, is where Doctor Who is stationed. Uh, and they do the first season with. Um, uh, Christopher Eccleston as the doctor and Billy Piper as the companion. I'm not going to go as in depth with most of this, but it's important to bring about, like, I think the origins of it. Uh, very famously, Eccleston only lasted one season because he had large disagreements with the production. Um, there was, like, uh, a lot of demands on him, um, and there was, like, he didn't like the way that they filmed it. Uh, and for years, he would not speak on Doctor Who. He didn't want to do anything with it. 
Matter of fact, they begged him to come back for the 50th anniversary, and he uh, refused. Uh, that's why we get the War Doctor in the 50th anniversary, because initially they wanted to use Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, and Matt Smith. But luckily now we also have the wonderful William Hart, Hurt, the William William Hurt as the the War Doctor, um, who you've seen recently in Alien. That's where the first person, the chestburster. Oh, the cutie. Yeah, the one who's uh, who gets the chestburster. Um, who gets burst? Bursted. So anyway, uh, so he only lasts one year before David Tennant takes over. Um, and you mean before the doctor takes over. Before the doctor takes over. Uh, so Eccleston rewatch. We watch the two-parter. Of the Are You My Mummy, which also introduces Captain Jack Harkness to the show. Um, the I'm just trying to remember the name of this was the Empty Child slash Doctor Dances. Um, what did you think about it on rewatch? What do you think about Eccleston's okay, Doctor? So first of all, yes. Calling it the Doctor Dances when he dances for like five seconds is very, very um a mood. But it's more than five seconds. <laughs> they play the Glenn Miller Moonlight Serenade. At least several like a few times. <laughs> but um so this time through I really enjoyed him. He's kind of fucking mean, like He's got some anger in him. And I he's his disposition is what you think Capaldi's disposition is going to be when you see Capaldi. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh Russell T. Davies created the whole idea of the time war. Because that was Gallifrey was something that the doctor could a place that the doctor could go to. Matter of fact, at some point they go to it so much that uh they joke around about how the I think like they're going to put, like, Starbuckses in there. <laughs> it, like, it just becomes so much a part of the plot where you, you're introduced to Time Lord um, society. Um, so he just gets done with the Time War where he pretty much is now the last surviving member of the Time Lords. And so I think a lot of that angst and anger and all of that comes from like just finishing up a regeneration where he was a war doctor where he was a doctor of war so i think a lot of that anger that eccleston brought to the role is like stuff that russell t davies so it's important to know and that i like that he softens up after he thought he killed rose not like a ton but like you could see there was a little shift in him after that you're looking like you don't agree. No, 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 I agree. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I was just looking something up for a second. Um, yes, and I think But you're oh, mostly through the entire episode, she's just got all the lines. So good. This is for the doctor dances and stuff. She's very clippy. She's a great companion. Is there I mean, you picked it. Why'd you pick it? What What about What about the show? Honestly, because I remember it, and because it was 
what kind of sold me to get into Doctor Who. So this is this episode, a lot of the other episodes beforehand, obviously at this time it was very cheap CGI, it was yeah. very under budget. Nothing really caught my attention, but like this did. And watching it again felt like, you know, the first time and I was like, I was stressed. I know Rose later gets left on that beach, you know, but I was stressed that they weren't going to make it or that they were going to have a gas mask face. And that suspension of disbelief is so vital to anything good. And you'll notice when you're watching something, if you rewatch it and you're not worried about the stakes, then it's lost its rewatchability. Mm. And maybe it's not as good as you once thought. But like, when you watch it and the stakes feel so real and so just like end all be all like they could die and there's um a lot of who that just really they could die yeah i know it's not as um i think this is a critique we've i'm jumping ahead but if i don't i will never remember my thought but it's kind of the critique we have of the 13th Doctor, yeah, where yeah. nothing is really that serious. Right. Like, they're gonna walk away. Maybe they, maybe the companions aren't gonna stay, but it's not the finality that, like, something's happened to Donna or Clara, and I know that um, they might go and remedy some of that, and um, I don't know. We'll have to find out in the new, the new episode, which we'll podcast after this. But what we'll to find out? What to? <laughs> I felt like I was making a point. Um, oh, something's kind of gone away from you, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. To it's... quote another episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, it's just like I mean, why me? Wibbly wobbly. Bumpy wumpy. <laughs> Bold stuff. Um, no, but like nothing, nothing felt urgent. You know, with the Thirteenth Doctor. Yes. Okay. And then you feel like so. Uh, and I feel like with all of the episodes we picked, it was the really tragic, urgent. Like these things are serious. They are monumental episodes, and they greatly impact the future of the franchise. And I think it's interesting, a lot of the episodes we picked were very Earthbound. Because I think that's where they do it best. Yeah. I mean, there, there, I mean, there, there are other ones. I mean, it's relatable to us. Also, budgetary reasons. Um, the other thing, too, I want to talk about is how this episode was um, penned by Stephen Moffat. Mm -hmm. This two-parter. And I think it's the first one that he does for the series. And he eventually becomes a showrunner. Um, but Russell T. Davies is the showrunner at the time. And there is a very distinctive difference between the, their approaches to their Doctor Who fandom. And this is where I want to talk about just kind of these, these two major showrunners during the time of Doctor Who. Russell T. Davies obviously has come back and he's doing these three um, anniversary episodes, and then he's going to be the showrunner for Gutta Gutta Gatwa's um, 
15th Doctor, but their approaches are very unique. So again, both of them grew up to be gigantic fans of Doctor Who during its original run. Um, but the way Russell T. Davies was as a fan was he wanted to be the companion to the Doctor. Stephen Moffat wanted to be the Doctor. And so that's really where we get a lot of the focus as that's why Rose is such a, a great companion because she's fully fleshed out. You understand like their wants and needs. Meanwhile, the doctor is a lot more like he can get away with a lot less stuff or she can get away with a lot less stuff. Um, there's a lot of questioning the morality of the doctor. There's a lot of questioning of like the methods of the doctor. And that's something done a lot more in Russell T. Davies. Like the doctor isn't someone that they, it, obviously the companions are like, as the first two of the modern who are in love with him. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they very much idealize him to a point that, we start uncovering those layers that like you're not that but they also critique him mm -hmm. um with matt smith doctor and capaldi's doctor they're they get away with doing a lot more questionable stuff without really like they're just like i'm the doctor that's why i get to do it yeah with eccleston like uh, and we'll get into it when i talk about my specific episode but there's a lot of like, who are you? Like, are you a, like really a good person? Like, why would I travel with you if you're going to do things like this? Um, I also really like, um, so they introduced John Barrowman in these two episodes. Mm -hmm. And um, he is a lot more like suave. And a lot more a lot of levity in the character. charming and has just all of this, like, Captain Jack is just... Charisma. Yes, he is. He has all the riz. Yeah. Um, wow. You're welcome. Wow. But it's true. Um, I also love that this is the, the, the very first queer actor. Um... Uh, and also, um, uh, like, bisexual uh, companion that Doctor Who's ever had. And obviously, Russell T. Davies himself is queer. Um, and so he brings that to Doctor Who, uh, which we'll definitely expand upon that when we get to the premiere. <laughs> um and so, like, we have a difference now in, um, like, sexual representation mm -hmm. because there was no talk of that kind of thing happening. Um, so what did you think of how does Eccleston's doctor for you stand out? Like, you said he's angry. What else? Um. He just, he seems very action star, very, like, no-nonsense. Um, he doesn't really give that much humor, in my opinion, not compared to Tenet. 
and Matt Smith with all of his words. And uh, <laughs> um just as the accent is from the north. Yeah. He's just very like he's broody. The main thing I can say about him is he is what you think Capaldi is, but Capaldi's not. And I think, and then we'll talk more about that, but I think Capaldi's first season is very different than the rest of Capaldi's run. Yes. So it's almost like he saw Eccleston and was like, that's what I, I don't want to be these silly men. I right. want to be. But then, like, the depth and the heart that you get with Capaldi is just, we'll, like... Well, like yeah. I said, we'll talk about that more when we get to that. Uh, so the one episode we can't talk about it in order. It's wibbly wobbly tiny wimeys. Um, well, good thing like that's... people assume the time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a nonlinear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly wobbly tiny wimey stuff. In our Doctor Who call, I forgot to mention we've got that on our door. That's also painted Tardis blue. Correct. <laughs> Um, so before we get to Blink, which we're referencing constantly, um, the pick, the episode I picked was Dalek. Now, the interesting thing about Dalek was, um, the Daleks at some point... That's the one I meant where her clips were amazing. Yes. Um, I feel like it's, I picked it because I think it's super emblematic of all of the characteristics that the Ninth Doctor shows, where he is just angry on a, a whole other level, talking down to most of the humans on the show, um, is like, I'm in charge, I don't know what you guys think is an authority figure, but I'm the authority figure. Oh, like when he was torturing the Dalek, like, that was a lot. Yes. So, what's fascinating about this was the original Dalek is, um, was penned by Terry Nation, it was the second ever serial, and it was one that was just inserted between a lot of the historical episodes to the extent that a lot of the original run was like, why are we even putting this in here? This is science fiction crap. But it was a story that was done to talk about the difference between like passive and aggressive society. And there was the Khalids and the Thens. Um, I'm just telling you. So I think you're getting off track here. No, I'm getting <laughs> specifically on track. So the Daleks uh, were created by this man named Terry Nation. Uh, they look like a teapot kettle thing with balls all around them. Balls and right. they have like a mixer for a hand and a plunger with that a big stock. Yes. The, the way, way you're it. the way you're describing them sounds so funny, and then you you but, see a Dalek, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Has two antennas for the ears, where it, it always blinks. They talk in short sentences all of the time. Exterminate. Um. Exactly. Uh. So this episode, um, was actually not written by either. Uh, Moffat or Art Russell T. Davies. This was done by Robert Sherman. Um, the Dalek, like most of the Dalek episodes, uh, is voiced by, I say Nicholas Briggs. Am I right about that? Yeah, I am. Who also founded the audio dramas that Doctor Who does called, um, 
big finish productions. Um, so he he is the one that's uh, responsible for a lot of for all of the Dalek voices in the new who. Uh, um, but uh, they almost weren't going to get a chance to air this episode because they before they even shot the season, they tried getting um, permission from the Terry Nation of States, and they didn't uh, give them full permission until they. Uh, so they had to reinsert this episode. Um, and uh, in the 60s, uh, the Doctor from Doctor Who was not the biggest character. The biggest character in Doctor Who were the Daleks. They were, like, for, for the UK, they were super, super famous. Um, but I picked this episode because I think it really showcases the difference between Eccleston's Doctor and all the Doctors that come after him. Um, I also think it showcases the way Chibnall, I mean, not Chibnall, sorry, Russell T. Davies is really, um, calls into question the morality of, uh, of any type of being that lives for 900 plus years in the fact that like how they treat life versus human beings. It is also great because it's centered around uh, the fact that the Dalek absorbs um, Rose's DNA and becomes partially human and is able to feel emotions because the Daleks are a creature that um, they're modeled after the the Nazis, where they feel they are the supreme race in the in the universe, and their only mission in the in, as a Dalek is to eliminate all life that isn't them, uh, which is very like master racy. Um, so you know, and that goes against obviously the Doctor's moral code of like saving people and um also with the um backdrop of like humanity where obviously we know that these things are wrong um but the doctor really kind of shows that after the time war he's really changed from this happy-go-lucky to this person that maybe has lived too long and, you know, calls into question, like, if, if I'm living too long, what does that mean about how I feel about life? If, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because there's another um, enemy of the Doctor that I don't think we, we touch on in any of the episodes that we picked, but um, we kind of see the antithesis of the Doctor's um, morality when we look at the Master, and the Master is someone who just wants to stir chaos and just wants to um, uh, 
that would be who the doctor would be if instead of their chaotic good nature they had a chaotic bad nature um and i feel like the the episode dalek really explores what would happen if the doctor didn't travel with these companions exactly it's definitely the companions that give the um humanity to the doctor right if they didn't travel with companions it would be easy for them to forget the scale that other life forms live on right so i feel like humans you know very good choice because you know the audience are presumably human and so they're dealing with very much um humanity and not to relate it to other properties, but one other thing that we really like is the, the show and the comic Invincible. And what kind of reminds me sometimes about a character who's lived too long is like Omni-Man. And the Doctor could be like, your lifespan is so insignificant compared to mine. But instead he, 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 he sees the, the precious... It almost makes it more aspect. important. Right. Like you get this... You get these brief years on Earth, and look what you do with it. Right. You guys make art. You guys make music. You guys love... Yes, there's so many horrible things about humanity, but really, Doctor Who is to celebrate the good parts of humanity. He definitely has a passion for humankind. And I think a lot of that is, is shown through the Ninth Doctor. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of anger. But there's also a lot of, um, there still is a lot of levity. Um, but it's almost like, um, I think Bowie is the ninth. <laughs> but as I say, it's almost like he uses humor in a way to calm his, his, his anger and to, like, who doesn't? <laughs> to push through. Um, I would I would uh, then venture to say if there's nothing else to talk about with the Ninth Doctor, do you um, Oh, so do you want to go on to Tenet? Where else would we go? I don't know. I was going to say <laughs> No, no. Okay. Uh, so we're going to start, we're going to go in the order that I have for our episode. So I think Blink comes first. So why did you pick Blink? Because Blink is a phenomenal episode. It is. And gives way to one of the most popular, if not the most popular, quote series. Which, honestly, like... Could have not it's worked. Well, you see, people assume that time is a strict progression okay. of no. Um, it's just so good. Weeping angels are terrifying. Yep. Um, I really love like it. Really shows you the care that was put into like. Okay, this needs to be sent here. This needs to be sent here. Like, in order for her to even get 
back to the place, you know? Specificity is the essence of narrative. Sure. So who are the, what are the Weeping Angels? They feast on potential energy. How do they do that? Okay. What do they look like? They look like angels at first. And then when they've got their hands over their face, they, they might be okay. Oh, look, we're in a nice Christian graveyard. But then Why when would they, they be in a graveyard? What are they? They're statues. They're statues. Motherfucking gargoyle bitches. Yes. So. Do you see these statues like everywhere in the whole world? Remember that statue you have in the front of yes. your house? I was always like, I'm looking at you. But so the fact happens? that as soon as you look away, they're on you. And then what happens if they're on you? Okay, you die, but not in the most compassionate way. I think anything has killed something so far. How they send you to another time, one way ticket. No, it's generally the past, and then you die a normal death, right? Of old age, or however you were meant to go. Old age, yeah. So that what makes the weeping angel such a terrifying enemy of the doctor and such a great written um like creature is that they could be any angel statue you could ever look at ever there are these but they're like from this race of these statues that feed on time energy that when they zap you back in the past they eat up all the the time that you never got to have so they push you into the, the past. So what happens in this episode is Sally Sparrow. Um, or Shipton. Um, she goes to this abandoned place with her friend Nightingale. She's got her first name. She's zapped into the past. Um, and again, this is penned by Stephen Moffat during the Russell T. Davies era. Um, he is great with creating all of these different types of timey-wimey stuff. Uh, what makes this episode also unique is the Doctor is in, what, maybe five minutes of the whole episode? Mm -hmm. um, and they use, like, DVD extras, or what do they call them? Easter eggs. Easter eggs to explain the whole process. And the fact that they're but just the 17 ways Everything has. happens out of order. Anachronisms. The, the Doctor receives the script he's supposed to give, but after the episode is already all the way complete. Where she realizes I'm the one that did everything. It was right. me all along. But because of Which is why a lot travel, of people sit back and wait for somebody to save them, but really you have to do it yourself. But time travel, yeah, it's it's a it's another example of the bootstrap paradox. Which is did did you save yourself or did Beethoven exist or did someone go back in time and write all of Beethoven's music and then pretend they were Beethoven because they really fancied Beethoven. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a great exploration of like time travel and things not happening in order, but things happening so that they could possibly we're over an hour. I'm just looking. I'm I know, looking. I know. You seem very terrified about our, our run time. I'm not terrified. I'm curious. Okay. Um, so that is blank. I don't know if you want to add anything else to it. I love the 
the really cute, like, flirtation between the detective and Sarah. I mean, Sally. Honestly, at first it pissed me off, but then when she gave his last name, I was like, okay, she's into it. It was just, it was um, really cute. Yeah. He's like, life is long and you are hot. That is a good, good thing to say. Um... um but yeah, um, I love how they, the weeping angels ended up doing themselves in when they were right because they're all them. they wind up finding the TARDIS. TARDIS disappears, but all the angels look at each other and they're frozen in time forever because of that. They're never supposed to look at each other. So whenever you look at the angels, their eyes are covered. But it's when like you don't look, it's like yeah. Boo. From the Super Mario points the tattoo, boo boo boo. Yeah, but yeah, whenever you're looking at the Weeping Angel, they don't move. When you look away, they do. Even if you blink, they can get you. Don't blink. Um. Ah, uh, then we have you pick the library two-parter. Of course, I did. Um. Again, another Stephen Moffat episode. Uh, during the Russell T. Davies run. Uh, why did you pick the library? We had, This is the... I picked it because River Song is in it. And it's just a phenomenal episode. And it's got those Silas guys library, that are hard of the to dead. say. The Vesta Narada. The Vashta Narada. Narada or Murata? You said both. Nur Rada. Earlier you said mm. Vastra Narada. Vadakadabra. Yes. <laughs> Vadakadabra. So, why did you pick the episode? You said it has River, uh, Song, River in it. Song in it. So, River Need I say more? Yes, who is River Song? The Doctor's wife. But, like, what is very. They are meeting. This is the first time she meets the doctor. The first time she meets no, the doctor. No, let me. As this, don't take away my words. As Tenet, she's never met him with that face before. Right. And this is the first time he's meeting her. Exactly. Okay, but mine was correct too. Okay. <laughs> but and. He's not too sure until she whispers his name into his ear. Right. And she had his sonic. I love at the end when he races like, no way, I can do this. Okay. That's good. Okay, you say stuff now. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> um, so... Uh, what's unique about River Song, and it continues all the way throughout, um, really Matt Smith's run, and then a little bit of Capaldi, is that she is a companion of the Doctor, but out of time. Yeah. They, she is also a time traveler. We're not even getting into her origin story, which is yeah. great. Um, and it reminded me of it when we were watching and I was just like mm. but she's a time traveler who 
team like teams up with the doctor, but they're never caught up at the same time. Sometimes the doctor is way ahead of her. Sometimes she's way ahead of the doctor, but they never really. It's very much the time traveler's wife. Yes. There are definitely a lot of aspects of it. Almost literally aspects of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's just a really cool concept that, you know, like, we know that there's a doctor who travels through time and space, but to think that one of his companions would also do the same thing, but not be in the same moments that yeah. he is, um, really presents a cool narrative idea for a character. And she's just an overall badass, played by Alex Kingston. Um, and just the ways that she also challenges the doctor because there are things that she knows about the TARDIS, things that she knows about... Well, she's written it all down in her diary. Yes. Spoilers. Spoilers. (laughs) Um, no, it's just a really cool narrative idea for a companion. Like, we know that there are people who travel with the doctor, but there's people who travel with the doctor out of time. Kind of like a John Barrowman. Barrowman. Yeah, but there's always, whenever John Barrowman's Captain Jack character travels with the Doctor, it almost seems like they're always meeting each other at the same time. Yeah. What makes her so unique is like, oh, did we do Jimmy the Fish yet? Did we do uh, this one time? And sometimes, yes, they had the same exact things. Sometimes, no, you know, like, there's a big struggle, which is one of the coolest aspects of the episode, where the Doctor, as David Tennant, really wants to find out what's in her diary that she wrote all about the adventures of traveling with the Doctor. Because, um, big spoiler here, but Silence of the Library and the Forest of Death is also where River Song's very last adventure with the Doctor happens because she decides to sacrifice herself. So the first time that the Doctor meets River Song is also the day that she dies. And so he knows that well they he slash she knows that the whole time knowing River Song. So you know like imagine having a companion that you meet out of time that you care very much for knowing how it'll all end for them. Um, and that's why he was crying with the singing towers as Capaldi's face, yeah. which is her favorite of the, I don't know which one's her favorite. I think she just loves the doctor. I'm wondering if, which is a unique, if, uh, Jody's ever met her. No. That has not had an episode. I wish there would be, but who knows what they'll do in the future. Uh, I also want to make sure to to stress this is also a uh, companion change. We went through Rose, Martha. We haven't covered an episode. No, Martha is in um a little bit of like blank. a second of blank. Um, she's like I had to do a shop, and then we have she had to work at a shop to finance to help. Uh, you know, the doctor. <laughs> um, but we have uh, Donna Noble, who comes back for the specials. Woo! 
the best companion. That's our favorite companion. No, uh, the best companion. Hands down. Uh, played by Catherine Tate. Mm-hmm. Um, she's amazing in this episode. Uh, all the different... No, if we thought Rose had one-liners, she is like the queen of one-liners. You know, Mr. Spaceman and like calling all the ooh, calling ooh, him out. Ooh, I almost gave away some spoilers um, to the new episode. But just the she's she's great. She's so the comic timing timing of Catherine Tate working with David Tennant is just amazing. To coin another doctor's catchphrase, it's fantastic. Um. But no, I, I I love it. Uh, just don't forget that uh, Donna Noble has left the library, but Donna Noble has been saved. Donna but 20,000 times. Yeah, I was like, okay, we're going to stop this now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, any more that you wanted to say? Like Vashta Narada. Vashta Narada. is such a cool um, enemy. Because, like, Shadow Boys, they are just literally swarms of shadow. Uh, again, a terrifying concept that so Moffat has now made us afraid of boys in gas masks. No, not just boys, I was afraid of everybody in the gas masks. Um, shadows, statues, um. <laughs> He takes all of these practical ideas, and, and I think the whole of the um, BBC props department is very thankful for him because he takes shadows and makes them a terrifying creature, which is not much that you have to make in way of like prosthetics there. Um, yeah, just grow a shadow. It's fine. Or it's, four shadows at one time. Yes. They definitely do a great job foreshadowing. Um, wow. You're welcome. Wow. I know. Folks, thanks for still listening, because that was rough. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, the very, like, WandaVision, your kids don't exist of it all. Oh, yeah. Obviously, this was first. Um. But that feeling, and I know that the reality versus like yeah, it also like questioning the existence of your reality. Well, what I was going to say, sorry, but yeah, is like we now have a child, and now like that that episode kind of hits different. Like, what if he didn't? Like, what if he didn't exist? Like, what? How would that make us feel? Right, right. Well, yeah, there's this whole world outside of. The because this is going on, you're also seeing this other world which the people in it believe that they're real, but it's not real, and so you know, questioning the existence of that reality the whole time it's quite Mm -hmm. a trip, yeah. Um, and that's actually what how the doctor saves, um, literally saves, um, (laughs) saves. Um, Donna, no, (laughs) 
River Song River. by uploading her into the her consciousness into that program, uh, so she can at least continue moving, living on, and, you know, in the life that she wants. Um. So, anything else you wanted to say? Why do you think she had three kids instead of two? Because she also took care of Cal. Oh. Because after everyone was gone in the system, all that existed was Cal, Dr. Moon, and then the so two Dr. kids. So Dr. Moon is real? Dr. Moon is not. It's a, it's a virus. It's a firewall protector. Oh. That's what I was thinking. But... but they were still uploaded into the program, specifically. Yeah. Uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, so um, I'm going to move on to the episode I picked. Which was Midnight. Midnight uh, was actually done by Russell T. Davies. It's the first one that we covered that was actually done by the showrunner. Um, short plot he gets into a ship that they go through this planet called Midnight that's supposed to be this wondrous. Um, diamonds. Di- yeah, these diamonds that are supposed to be like special. And it's, like, supposed to be really fun. It's kind of, like, akin to, like, if you took a train ride throughout the United States to see different things outside. But what winds up happening is some sort of creature gets on the loose. We never see this creature. But it imitates, um, it gets latches onto one of them and imitates them and eventually imitates the doctor until they throw the person out. Um, But I love it because it explores, like, again, uh, this is an episode that... This is the fear of somebody copying what you say. Right. We all learn that's not something we like as children when you're like, if you copy me one more time, I'm going to fight you. But there's also the other thing that's scary is like an enemy that you can't see. And I really like how a lot of the enemy also is like the doctor. Like they think he is bringing upon this evil thing because of his own fascination. Like, when he finds something he can't understand, it excites him, even in the face of fear. Um, I picked this episode because it is so heavily about the Doctor, and the David Tennant specifically way of acting around other people where he is very um, he's very curious, he's very mercurial. Um, there's almost like um, laughing in the face of danger because he is the doctor, even though it could jeopardize other people. Um, and it's also a bottle episode, which is a special type of episode that television shows do where it's just like a a one-off episode usually there's no like big monster at the end or anything and a lot of it's a character exploration and so he's trapped inside with these other people who all turn on each other um very quickly and so it kind of like there's like a psychosis and a claustrophobic element to it as well um I think it's really well done, well written. Um, 
What do you think about the episode? If you had any thoughts now watching it again, everything okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then what do you think about David Tennant? I love David Tennant. Um, love him and everything he's in. He's great. Um, he's kind of the king of nerds. He's in literally everything. He's now even in Star Wars. Yeah, he's a droid. He's a droid. Um, the episode itself really isn't my favorite. Okay. Um, don't think I enjoyed it much the first time. Didn't really enjoy it that time either. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, it really made me sad because I want to see a goof off episode where they do go do fun stuff and it's not serious. Like, I just want, I want Donna and the doctor to go do fun stuff together that's not life-threatening like i just i think they'll be good and this one like i don't know repetition sets me off so it's the same reason i don't like episode turn left um god that felt like years getting through um but yeah so at the end of it i don't have much to say on that episode and they never really told us what happened which i don't like what happened was there are these creatures that exist in these diamonds mm -hmm. and this leisure company which capitalism in its worst <laughs> decided to build and make this like a recreational place without really doing much research on it and there's an indigenous population there that they didn't account for and once he came back, the doctor told them that they need to build somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And they need to abandon the planet because more people will also be at risk. I don't feel like it spelled it out that much. So. He, okay. He did say it to Donna at the end, though. Probably checked out. You probably were. Just because I was like, meh. I mean, yeah, that's fine. But again, not one of my, my episodes. I like It's one of my top, maybe top five episodes ever. Honestly, I really boring. like it. I really like it when there's like a whole mutiny aspect to things. Yeah. And the while the copying thing is can be annoying. But I also I think, think it's so terrifying. But I also think that there's like you can never win against like it doesn't matter if mutiny is happening, David Tennant can talk his way out of the paperback. Like Yeah, but they were about to throw him out. <laughs> I do like that the um hostess was like, nah, bitch, get the fuck out of here. I also really... But I, I think, think she could have pushed her out, so I don't know why she was... She was sick of these passengers. She was like, I fucking had it. I'm done. I'm out of 5,000. I also think what's terrifying is not only the copying, but when they're able to get... Um, oh, when... when they're anticipating what the person is going to say. Mm -hmm. That is terrifying. And like the way this entity can take hold of other people. Um, so what do you think of... So yes, we love David Tennant. David Tennant's amazing. Um, I just think... He's like, top ten in everything that's ever like existed. His characteristics of, as a doctor is just so much like... Like he's so curious and whip smart and funny, but he also distracts himself. 
and like we'll go off on these tangents like somebody I know and um it's just the way he interacts with everything like he thinks anything is special like he wouldn't harm a Dalek like he wants to find the non lethal way out every single time more than I think any of the other doctors do. Matt Smith will go on site. Capaldi will burn the entire world for Clara and kind of like you know did and um, Eccleston was like moody broody but and there are some moody broody tenant episodes and just the range that he exhibits just I could this is now a David Tennant stan account like I uh-huh. What he brings to it is just to the point where he is now synonymous with an entire franchise that was before he was born. And I think, yeah, I think he is the face of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's definitely currently the face of Doctor Who, without question. He's doubled the face of Doctor Who. But I think that he, like, when people imagine Doctor Who, I asked you this question when we're watching it, what do you think as a Doctor I think he also brings upon an aspect, and this is something that was starting up when it didn't come fully realized until later, but I think he also brings, like, a superhero element to the Doctor. Where, like, the Doctor has a specific look. The Doctor acts a certain way. He has catchphrases. He, like, I I feel like that he's not only just, like, this one curious character that goes from planet to planet, time to time, but it's like he shows up and saves the day. Yeah. He his his coat almost acts as a cape. Um and I also think um there's this really great uh quote that um William Hurts or is it John Hurt? John, I've been trying to Sorry. say that this whole time. Sorry, John Hurt. But then Hurt. I was like, of course you know better than I. No, the John Hurt says about both uh, Tennant and Matt Smith, which is Tennant's doctor is the, the doctor that regrets and Matt Smith's the doctor that forgets. And there's definitely a lot of sadness, especially after he loses Rose. Um, you know, and all of his companions, in a way, depart from him. In a, like, Eccleston never had to deal with losing a companion. But Tennant had to deal with losing three companions, especially the way he loses Donna. is so devastating. Mm-hmm. You know, not only is she gone, but also she has to forget all about him. Um, you know, and, and like you could just, there's like this deep sadness in him. And then we go from him to Matt Smith. <laughs> Who, there's like, there is like this darkness that I think, there's like this sinister aspect that I think we kind of even touched upon when we started, when we watched it, but he hides it with all of this like, silly, goofy, like, I'm this young guy. Alright, going more off on uh, Matt Smith, maybe we'll talk about his specific episodes. So the first one we did, I believe, was was that Vincent and the Doctor. And why did you choose this one? Um, 
this is how I get people into who. I don't know if it's ever actually worked. I don't know what they've gone on to do with their lives past then. But this episode is everything. Um, it really shows the struggles of mental health and especially when they're prevalent in artists, it definitely in, in other creatives. And we wouldn't even have Doctor Who if it wasn't for artists and creatives, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't have any of your entertainment. Life would be dull and, dare I say, meaningless without art. Um, I'm going to go on a little tangent here, and I will reel myself back in so you don't have to worry. No worries. It's why Station Eleven is so important. It shows them creating art in the end times. They survived the apocalypse. They survived whatever thing is happening. And because what is the point of living if you're not thriving? If you're not creating and sharing art with the world? So, um, I'm pretty sure they cast actually Vincent Van Gogh. So, like, golf. Van Gogh was so kudos to them for, like, raising him from the dead. I don't know how they did all of that. Um, but no, I loved it. And I love that the big bad of this episode was more so like a misunderstood creature, very much like Vincent himself, um, very relatable. And, like, when he vanquished the beast, he felt bad. It wasn't a celebration. It was like, oh no. What what have I done? I loved the little flirtation between Vincent and Amy. Um, I don't know if I would have left if I was Amy. I know she had to, but... Um, I feel like this episode won't leave us that much to say about it, maybe. But it's because it's such an experiential episode. Like, you just, like, live and breathe through it. You see how he sees the stars. You see how he's like, the night isn't black, it's dark, dark blue. And it's just, it's gorgeous. And it also shows that, like, people in town pretty much hated him. Like, they didn't think his art was good. And it's, like, just a reminder that, like, you're not creating for others. You're creating for yourself and the process of creating. Now I'll I'll turn it over to you. No, I'll just say uh just <laughs> Tony Current does an amazing job as playing Vincent Van Gogh. Um this is written by Richard Curtis. Uh I think the direction by Johnny Campbell is amazing too, especially the end. Uh with the oh, tracking wow. shot. That was great. And the rotation of the platform, uh with the paintings and then Bill Nye being uh explaining. Being a docent. Um, Vincent Van Gogh's uh, impact. Uh, I think it's really important that they explored mental, um, especially at a time. I think this was written like 2011, 2012, where like it's much more prevalent now. But people don't really talk, like. I feel like even 10 years ago, we weren't as open discussing like um a lot of the the 
the open discussion dialogue we're having about a lot of emotional and mental disorders. Um, yes, generally they want to show, um, shout out to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Sexy French Depression. People will deal with your depression and your anxiety, but when you get past that, they really give up quickly. They don't have time for you. I also think it's, uh, again, this is like what I talked about at the beginning, about how Doctor Who creates like a literal blank canvas for the writer to paint on. And the fact, um, I don't know if this is where you're going to go with or not, but the fact that it's, what? Don't work Were you mad at me? No. Oh. Um, that he's a man dealing with these troubles. It's always seen as a very, like, womanly thing to be sad, hmm. to be depressed, to mm -hmm. be anxious. Men are manly men, and they fight war and fuck, like, they don't. They don't have emotions. They don't have feelings. And so much so, it's like the doctor is a man with feelings. And that's why he maybe works so well. And why people are willing to follow him to the ends of the earth. But this is what I was discussing before when I was saying how Doctor Who creates like literal a blank canvas. Where any writer could write any story that they want to at any time. And you know, given this one a specific historical figure, but I think the writer really wanted to convey, like, the extent to which, like, depression and anxiety, even after being told you are going to be the greatest artist of all time, you know, it still he's, will take its toll. Yeah, he still ends up dying by suicide. Right. So, which is just emblematic that, like, even doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Sorry. No, no. Nothing for You looked mad. <laughs> Sorry. But it doesn't... Mental health doesn't need a good reason. Everything can be fine, but you're not okay. True. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. We'll move on to the next one. Uh, next one you wanted to cover was um, the silence two-parter. Yeah. So, why did you pick those two episodes? Why did you pick those two episodes? Um, because there were two I really remembered. They really stuck out to me. Um... Stuck. Stuck out. Stood out. I guess I'm making a new word here. But, um, silence are terrifying. So what are the silence? They're these big, wiggly, dick-handed guys that... They wear anything? Suits. Yeah, they wear suits. With a creepy face that, like, they stretch their butthole mouth open. And they can also zap you, which they don't seem to zap very often. They seem to more like be like, haha, you don't remember me. But, but they have like taken over Earth. They're everywhere. And people are forgetting about them, so they don't know to do anything. Like, how can you fight a monster you don't remember? And a lot of the, the, 
the things that they do is not really to necessarily, like you said, they don't really zap people very often, but what they do is influence people. Do you think they zapped them because they really wanted Amy to deliver the message to the doctor, even though they kind of know that she can't really deliver the message? Are you talking about specifically in the bathroom? Yes. I think they did that to just show the, the power that they have. Like, what if there's this monster that you forget every single time that you look away from them, and it also can kill you? But I think the the main thing, the thing that they do more than anything, is exact their influence by suggestibility. Because you get ideas, or you get these thoughts, you get these these feelings from something you don't even remember. And I think it's like some sort of like induced hypnosis that they create in you. And so, like for example, they talked about in the episode how they needed a spacesuit so they convinced people to go to Mars and to go to the moon. So that they can have a spacesuit. That's just an example of like that. I also like that this episode features Mark Shepard, um, who's in also King of the Nerds. He's in like every single nerdy thing. Uh, hilarious, like his father portrays him in the future. Um, he's one of the ones invited. Uh, this episode also is a little complicated because it has a lot of like implications for. The rest of the season, which we won't get into, just just watch Doctor Who, like just in general. If we haven't convinced you, um, also features excellent direction from Toby Haynes, Stephen Moffat episode. Um, anything else you wanted to point out? You. It's another one of those episodes where you just gotta watch it. It's like. I saw the silence and I forgot. But, like, when you're there watching it, it's so much. What about the markings? Oh, yeah. So they had to figure out a way to know that they'd seen them. So they... And visually, it's such a cool, like... What's a cool thing? The tally marks to count up how many interactions they've had with them, and then eventually the doctor just like stabs a thing into the a video recorder into the hand mm-hmm. of your nerd guy. Oh yeah, well they do that for every single person. Yeah, but I... so they're able to to audio record what they see, mm-hmm. so they can play it back when they forget. Yeah. It's very also very men in blacky, like the way that yeah, they're like dressed. The wipes, and, uh, yeah. yeah. Um No, it's I mean it's a great episode. It's the whole like which is explored later on with Capaldi. You know, are we ever truly alone? Do we see things and forget we've seen them? Another Stephen Moffat, like, now you gotta be afraid of what if you forgot you saw monsters? You know what? I'm 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 fine if I forgot that I saw a monster. As long as I'm not putting any tally marks on my arm, I'm fine with it. As long as it doesn't impact me, I'm good. Yeah. What about you? What about me? No, I I I want to know if I saw a monster. <laughs> Ignorance is not bliss. I disagree with that completely. I guess it's as somebody who has. Really bad night terrors, all I want to do is forget them, so I'm fine if I forget them. 
I guess it's very fitting that <laughs> the doctor is the doctor who forgets. Wow, and we wrap that up nicely, a little bow on it. Is it a bow tie? Bow ties are actually not cool. <laughs> That's fair. Interestingly enough, um... Get me my fez. Get me a fez. The... Which doctor wore the fez? Or... No, didn't another one wear it? No, that's oh, the only okay. one wore it. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting thing that Steve Moffat... And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment when we talk about Matt Smith as a whole, which we could actually do it probably now when we talk about our next episode, which is the one I picked, which is the Doctor's Wife. This is the one where the... Sexy. The... The spirit of the TARDIS is imbued in this woman in this planet that's in, like, a pocket universe. Not really in the universe that we know, but in this pocket universe, which kind of... They lure Time Lords to their planet uh, so they could... The host, who is voiced by the wonderful Michael Sheen, um, that... Uh, at one point, it was actually rumored to play the Doctor multiple times. But anyway, um, they feed off of like the time energy, and there's a TARDIS like uh, junkyard, and they rebuild the TARDIS and everything. But I think that this episode is really emblematic of everything that the Twelfth Doctor, um, everything that like Matt Smith brings to the role, which is like I don't think. As much as he needs people around, he doesn't know how to be around people. He's... Yeah, he's definitely lacking that emotional intelligence. So yes. Like, David Tennant had it in spades, but... Yes. It's almost like he's, he's taken... He's so childish. He's taken all of the worst lessons that David Tennant had, and... Unlearned them. <laughs> well, I was to say, the worst lessons, and just just taken all of, like, like, like if you have a kid... And, like, you're like, man, I hope they only have the good aspects of my personality and my traits. That's never and, the case. <laughs> and they only have the worst traits, and you're like, oh. Like, I feel like when Tennant sees Smith, he's like, man, I can't believe I did that, but I could see part of me in him. But it's only that part. I have some, like, meta-commentary to do right now that sure. will, like, branch into, like, maybe a deeper meaning. But Amy Pond is very much a mother to him, even though she's yes. the one that... And, like, so Rory's, like, a dad. Yes. And then... No, you, you definitely spoilers, hit it Spoilers, honey. Spoilers. Yeah. But, no, um, you definitely hit it right on the... I love that reveal. And, like, I feel like that spoiler is a little too deep. Like, everyone knows Rose gets left on the beach, so I'm going to leave it live for now. But um, we will, will talk explain. about that in another time. Perhaps. Perhaps. Another pocket universe, maybe. But just going back to this episode, so... What I think is brilliant is the connection that the Doctor has to the TARDIS. And, you know, sometimes if you wish really hard... You wish really hard. <laughs> one of my favorite lines ever. Is just so... The way she said it was, like, admonishing him. Like, yes. you wish really hard. And again, that's, that kind of goes along with the whole, like, Amy Pond acting as, like, a surrogate mother to the Doctor. Even though he's clever and everything, he's very he very much, like... Matt Smith Doctor produce like has like a very young Sheldon energy to him. You know, where like he's brilliant, he's so well meaning and everything. But when it comes to anything common sense related, 
he doesn't have that ability that like David Tennant had, you know, as a doctor. And again, like, I think this is a lot about him wanting to forget the kind of person he was because he doesn't want to remember all of these. He just wants to travel, have a good time with his friends. And whenever. Whenever he um, is having to remember, like, all of his responsibilities, he wants to unlearn it. Do you want to share what happened? or I, I know just, what happened, but... I was just messaging somebody in the... I don't know why, but my fingers or any part of me just, like, needs the world to video call. And I don't want a video call. So I was video calling during a podcast. So now I've got the fear of God struck in me. Because that sound is so foreboding. I'm just like, oh. So um, one thing I wanted to add before we finish our Matt Smith discussion and probably have like a very small Capaldi and Jody Whitaker discussion so that we could have enough <laughs> uh, in the tank to, you know, keep going. Um, so... Eccleston grew up not with the doc. Like, I don't, I think he's probably watched some Doctor Who, didn't watch some Doctor Who. David Tennant yeah. is, like, one of the biggest fanboys. fanboys of Doctor Who. And I think it really shows them in performances. Right. Matt Smith is not. It shows him as appalled he is. But, interestingly enough, he was instructed by Moffat to watch some of the other doctors, and his favorite doctor is the second doctor, which is where he got the bow tie from, because the second doctor wears a bow tie. Um, and he loves the way he's... The second doctor is very, like, buffoonish, but it's very much like absent-minded professor. Um, and buffoon is a great word to describe Matt Smith's doctor. Right. Um... We're gonna. This is a good branch off to talk to Capaldi. Capaldi was such a fanboy of Doctor Who um, that at one point he wrote so many letters that they sent him scripts from Doctor Who because they wanted to quote unquote satisfy this annoying P. Capaldi fella who keeps writing them from university, who had like a he was like president and creator of the Doctor Who fan club in his university. Um, so, like, you could tell all the influences of all the other Doctors within him and his performance. Um, very interesting. When we get to Jody, we'll talk about this. But Whitaker was told by Chibnall not to watch a single episode of Doctor Who. So she had never seen Doctor Who until after. She wow, so that really shows how much she and Tenet kind of take the same... Like, because she's got very Tenet-ish qualities to her or something. Well, it wouldn't... I don't know if that's the case, because, again, like I said, she was told not to watch any Doctor Who. She's, she's watched no... Until her run was over, she hasn't watched a second of Doctor Who. Because she was... she They wanted her performance to be unique and different from all the other Doctors. Mm. Now, Capaldi... I feel like is very much reminiscent of a lot of the classic 
Doctor Who. Um, is this an age thing? No, I'm I don't just, think it's... I mean, other than the fact that he's seen other ones. I, I know what you mean. The other ones before are much younger, and then we have this old Scottish guy. So this is... Moffat has taken over during Matt Smith's run. Matt, uh, so uh, now this is our second showrunner. I forgot to mention that, but our first one being RTD, who had two do different doctors, Russell T. Davies. Now we have Moffat. So RTD is a Welshman. He's from Wales, and he based most, most of his stuff. We're still in Wales, I think still in Cardiff, still filming and everything, until I think they moved productions to London, BBC London. But Moffat is a, is a Scot. He's from Scotland. So that's where we get Amy I as a companion. We, I wish we could see Amy and Capaldi. I know it's, that would be fascinating. But like, I feel like they would have fed off of each other in like a very Clara way. And then, but like even more so. And then we have Capaldi, who is obviously from Scotland. And so like a lot, you see a lot of that influence on him. Uh, we also see a difference in the way that the there's very there's definitely like an entitlement to both Matt Smith's doctor. Like there's no apologies. They're very much like shoot first, ask questions well, he's later. Very, he's very immature. He's not grown. You're talking about Smith, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, and then in response to them, I feel like in a way a lot of regenerations are written as responses to the previous regeneration. So like from Tennant to Smith, he wants to forget. He doesn't want to have all those regrets for everything he's done. So he becomes younger and mature. Then Matt Smith, on his regeneration, he spends forever on Transalore in the town of Christmas, and he gets old. He, he's thousands and thousands of years old, and then he imbues someone who's aged, someone who has gone through all that life experience and becomes very bitter, very... I feel like especially his, in his first season. His first season was very nuanced until he found what he was going to do. I I would disagree. I feel like his more seasons are... He's a lot warmer. I feel yeah. like his first season, he's very dark, okay, very but, brooding. But he was new. Like, he's not... He's more, like, reined in about it. Like, he's... He feels all those things, but it's not like, it's not the exuberant outburst of a child. It's the plotting and the planning of someone. What are we talking about specifically? What? Which, which doctor? Uh, uh, yeah. I don't think he's childish. In... No, I said, in, so it was a reaction. Oh, to... a reaction. So he becomes the opposite yes, of what Smith was. I said was. it's not a childish right. outburst. No, I 100% agree. And I feel like it was like a, complete, a swing completely in the other direction. Uh, matter of fact, I really do not like Capaldi's first season. At, I had to rewatch. Yeah, we want, I think that's that the first one we so watched together. So many times. And well, I, the, first, the first episode specifically. Yeah. That first episode, Deep Breath, yeah. it will be a really good like episodes that we hate of Doctor Who to rewatch. <laughs> Um, I hate it more even though with Clara than with Capaldi, because Clara's stuck on the fact that he's changed, but yet her whole plot device is that she's seen every single doctor ever. Remember, that's the whole Impossible Girls storyline? Oh. 
where he, she's seen the first Doctor. I still doctor wish we would have done that. That episode. Well, we always can, but yeah. but I mean, like, there's the the Dalek one. Really, isn't the one that where they really go in through it. It's it's the one that's it's the ones that leading up to the fiftieth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's also an interesting thing too. Is Clara is one of the only do- the companions besides Rhodes that bridges between Doctors, mm-hmm. and so for her to have such Everyone a problem with the fact, right? Yeah, it's a very brand new thing. Well, I think it's the difference of dealing with something hypothetically and then dealing with it in real life. You have this way that you're like, this is how I'm going to act, and then, but it's hard because you're like. Okay, that's my doctor, but it's not my doctor. But why does she have much more difficult of a time doing it than everyone else? I think because of her closeness. Like they're clo- like they're partners. Right. But I love the Like way- imagine if Donna would have lost Tenet. Not in the way that she did, but imagine regeneration and Donna is now it's Matt Smith. She I felt would like be, she would have taken care of him. But she would have she would have been distraught. Uh, I feel like she would have taken care of him. I agree. <laughs> I agree, but she would have been devastated. Because yeah. while she would logically know that her doctor is still there somewhere, it's not her doctor. But the fact that Claire has such like a visceral reaction. Anyway, this is not an episode we saw or anything like that. I want to get more into it, but I think that's one of the things I had a hard time with was the fact that like it, she, I hate in shows and in when characters act completely differently than they're than they should. Like this is information that we've known about them, and now they're acting completely differently. No, I think it rings true to how you would really react. And I think maybe I you think should keep that in mind on a rewatch. Regular person. But Clara is so specific in the fact that she knows every single doctor's reiteration. No, but she could still need her doctor. And it might be a something like leftover from childhood. It might be something else. But you would want yours. That's like if somebody went to the store and got you a brand new teddy bear and you've had this teddy bear through childhood and you know it's the same, but it's not the same. I completely disagree. It's like if I had 12 other teddy bears before, but I got a brand new teddy bear and I got upset about it. Well, you don't want that teddy bear. You want your teddy bear. But I've already had 12 other teddy bears. But how much did she really have? Just because she's seen the face doesn't mean she's really experienced them fully. But she's still been in their life. She knows who they are. I don't know. Well, it's like a well-graded history. That's that's my problem. You would be wrong. (laughs) That's my problem with that episode. The one that you had to watch over and over and over again because you just couldn't get through it. Um... I also think that first season is rough, except for the episode that you picked, I think really stands out. And I think that's almost like that element of Capaldi, not all of them, but like the speech that she he gives to Danny, little Danny Pink at the beginning about fear being a superpower. Oh, yeah. I think that is the embodiment of what he becomes. Like that 
because then it goes back to your episode that you picked. Right. Because he says that then. He does say that. It is a callback. But it's not only just a callback, it's also just like, I think... Kind of just how he is. I think he... I think he... I think Capaldi has... Um... He does have a hard time connecting with people, but the bonds he forms with people are so strong. So, like, if he deems you worthy, he will, like, burn up the universe for you. Okay, so, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this. I think Capaldi is very autistic-coded. I think the Doctor as a character is very autistic-coded. Yes, but I think that's a whole That's a whole conversation we could have. Especially! That could be another two hours long. Like, I'm autistic, I'm taking it as saying that, but I think that, like, because... And it's how he so easily could turn into a villain. Because the people you love, we know logically it's worth saving 10,000 people, a million people, a billion people. But we would save our own. Mm. No questions asked. And I think that's why I've always drawn sort of to a villain character. Because they show their passion and their love in that way. Whereas, like someone like Mark Grayson. I think ultimately as much as he loves everybody would save the greater good. Right, right, from Invincible. I see, like, um... Like, even if he knew maybe... Like the needs of one versus the needs of but like, billions. Even if he knew that going off planet would mean that Amber... Is that her name? Amber? My the girlfriend is with Yeah. Her. Amber and Eve and William would die, he would still do it. He would have to. Because he's a true hero. The good. He would be torn up about it, and maybe it would crack him to maybe lean villain later, but he would do that. Well, I think that Capaldi, that's maybe one of the best things it exemplifies, is like, I feel like Tennant... I, I mean... Gosh. No, Tennant would do the same thing. Well, I feel like the Doctor character, one of the reasons why they're Matt so Smith. fascinated, fascinating, is that they do have moral codes, but it's not always moral center. Yeah. That's why the Master is such a great villain and such a great counteract. Especially, like, Capaldi's Master with Missy. Mm-hmm. How she is such a great... like. He cares so deeply for her, even though she always makes the worst choice, mm-hmm. um, because he sees so much of himself in her, and he knows that, like, you know, given the circumstances, he might make those choices, but there's just something in him that he chooses to find the good instead of the evil and things. Because it's that level of empathy. Right. That he can understand, which makes things really difficult sometimes. And you have to, like, find... This is not like Doctor Who, necessarily, but just in life. You've got to find those lines, or you'll explain away everything for anyone. Oh, yeah. And it makes it hard to do boundaries. And I think Capaldi is a lot more of a subtle Doctor. Exactly. How I said, he was very nuanced. Yeah. So, pertaining to the specific episodes we highlighted with Capaldi, 
uh, with listen. What'd you say? And then again with hell bent and heaven sense. Um, let's let's start with listen. So listen is the episode that has the he postulates that nobody is ever truly alone. Uh, again, this is another case of Stephen Moffat using absolutely nothing to scare us. Um, well, you know, the, the scariest part of any movie is before you see the monster. Yes, that is always the best part. That's why Jaws works so well until the very end. And um, you're like, it's a shark, dude. Yeah. But um, exploring kind of like his... Uh, subtlety in his like relationship to the universe. He's a doctor that travels alone a lot, and then just picks up Clara whenever she's available. He's also someone who is really fast unknown, and he'll even put people in danger if he needs to just to discover something. But then that changes a lot later on. When he realizes, like, his bond is so strong with Clara. Um, and I think my favorite episode of um, all of Doctor Who, which is the um, Hellbent, where he's trapped in the one, like, castle that eventually realizes a confession dial. And he stays there for seven billion years. A lot of years, man. Just to make sure that he has something that he can bargain for so that he can get to Clara. Um, which shows just like, and then he carries that relationship on with Bill later on, you know, past these two episodes. After a lot of, like, he definitely kept Bill at arm's length for a while. Mm-hmm. And like, he definitely has a hard time getting to know people, but once he brings them in, I mean, you could see that evidence also with the master, with Missy, uh, which I think I already said. Um, but yeah, I, I like Capaldi because I feel like he is a lot more show, don't tell. And it's evident from like the very first episode when he talks about the thing he doesn't like hugs is that you could hide your face. Um, and I think that's something that Capaldi bring the doctor this is his face because he's much older it's all those wrinkles it's all those like battle scars it's he does like terrific job just conveying how he feels more so than stating matter of fact a lot of times he states the exact opposite of the way you know he feels um but he's a lot more like sure of himself as far as the role of the doctor He's just not sure of himself as the kind of, like, if he's a good person. Um, but yeah, do you have any more that you wanted to add or any specific reason why Listen stood out to you? Or It was another one that was very full of repetition. It kind of reminded me of Turn Left, but, like, I think a better executed version. That was uh, Hellbent. This one where he's in the castle. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. What about Listen? Because you picked that one. Do you remember that one specifically? 
that was the one where he goes to the end of the universe. We have astronaut Danny Pink. And then we have... You know, I don't know why I picked that one. No? Okay. That's a great one. It is. Um... And I think it showcases a lot of the, the... Again, I love the whole when he goes and visits Danny and the boys' home, the whole speech about fear, which brings back later. The whole collection he has to Clara. How he constantly also chides her. <laughs> the three mirror bit. Her face is so wide, you need three mirror. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, uh, what about, um, what do you think of him as, like, the doctor? Like, what are your feelings on him? I think he shows a much needed change and matur- maturation after the Matt Smith of it all. Um, and it's like, well, if I can't have Matt, or if I can't have David Tennant, then I'll have Capaldi. And then I get David Tennant again, so that's pretty nice. Um, Um, I also remember at this time, just looking at information and stuff about it. I feel like I'm starting to run out of thoughts after over two hours on this. (laughs) I'm still forever. I also remember when he was cast, there was a lot of controversy because at this time, a lot of people felt that we were ready for either a person of color or a woman to take on the role, and so a lot of people were disappointed in his casting. But I think that, um... White man! Right. Yeah, followed by another white man, followed by another white man, followed by another white man, followed by another white man. By a white woman! And then... A white man. Okay, but not really. And then a person of color. (laughs) Um, but at the time, when he was cast in 2000... 2014, people were disappointed because they were hoping that they would, you know, go to and same problem that's going on with James Bond right now. You know, they want someone, a person of color. They want a, someone. They want a woman to do that role because they never got a chance to do that. So, but uh, you know, I love Capaldi. He'll always be my favorite Doctor. It would take a lot for. Someone to replace it. Um, I feel like he brought a lot of his own flair to the role this second season, especially when we get like Rocker Doctor. But yeah, I love when he brings his car out. I think one of the most effective, just brilliant aspects of the character is him, you know, playing Clara's theme to Clara in the. Um, I feel like that's diner. the episode I picked. Well, maybe it's what I meant to pick. Okay. Um, what I mean is just like the the you know he brings a whole different aspect to the Doctor that that like aging rocker who doesn't want to let go of humanity and and then he becomes a, a professor you know and. Obviously, he loves to hear himself talk, 
but you know, it's still the connection of the people. It's still, you know, how close he is um, with. Otherwise, he 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 would discard them if it was up to him. He would just let the universe burn out just so he could be with his friends. Um, but uh, I th- I think he more than any other doctor, except maybe possibly Bennett. I feel like he brought so much of himself to the role. Like, this is what I've always dreamed to be able to do, so I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Especially, you can see that between the first season and the second season. He changes his hair, he changes his style. You know, I love that second and third season of Cavaldi. That last season with Clara, the last season, the, the season with Bill. Um... I know you said you're kind of running out of thoughts and stuff like that. I promise. Well, yeah, I'd say that, like, I really can't pick a favorite in between Capaldi and Tenet. It's, like, it's just different sides of the same coin. You think about just when you think about this doctor, what comes to mind? What ideas? What um, hashtags? What, uh, what are those words? Not hashtags. That's the word I was looking for. What are the things that we always look for 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 podcasts? Keywords. Keywords. There you go. Um, I could ask ChatGPT right now. You could, um, and that would be fun. That'd be a fun exercise. Do you want to try that? I guess just kind of like love, honestly. Really? Um, I'm gonna try that as a fun exercise. You tell, you talk. Tell him just sum up. Peter Capaldi as Doctor Who in five words. Well, tell me more about what you thought about Capaldi. Or we can go on to we can go on to Jody now. So Jody Whitaker, it switches from Moffat to Chibnall. Chibnall had been a writer on Doctor Who. He also did Torchwood, which is I think one of the reasons why they brought back Captain Jack is Captain Jack was the main character of Torchwood. But uh, you picked Rosa Parks. Yes. Rosa. What do you think about Rosa? Great. Can you elaborate that with your hashtag analysis? (laughs) I really loved how it just demonstrates that we've not gone far at all since Rosa Parks and the honestly mostly ignored civil rights movement in the United States because if it was fully embraced it would we would not be where we are today so you like Trump the, couldn't exist today you like the reflection um, of yeah cuz Ryan is like I mean, it gets better. Not much, but it gets better. And just the visceral hate displayed in that episode is so much like 2016 of it all. And I think it's a good dialogue to add um, because when you have sort of a phenomenon like Doctor Who, um, 
what's the point if you're not going to say something with it? And the fact that, like, her doing so is, like, a fixed moment in time and changes everything. While it doesn't fix everything, it does change everything and leads to a lot more um, of the civil rights um, fight in the United States and elsewhere. How do you think that, like, her doctor... Well, I want to get into... I feel like she was very... um, This isn't a doctor-heavy episode. She very much leaves it up to Rosa. She leaves it up to Ryan. And she leaves it up to Yaz. Because she knows this is not her lane. She's a white woman. Her and Graham just need to sit there and fill the bus. They don't need to be the heroes. They need to... Yeah, it's like almost... It reminds me of an old school... Uh, by old school, I mean like a classic Doctor Who um, historical. Because a lot of the classic, really classic Doctor Who historicals was them more or less observing what was going on at the time during that time. Um, with There is a science fiction element to this with that one person who was extremely racist that was trying to change everything. But for the most part, like, the enemy is not, like, a Dalek or Cyberman. It's just, like... No, it's so much worse. It's racism. It's the insidiousness that was uh, that our country was built upon. Like, our system isn't broken. It, it was designed this way. To keep minorities down. To keep a small sect of white men in power. And with her... I think it's so great that she was the doctor they chose to kind of explore with because she's also a woman at that so she's not a woman of color but she is a white woman and kind of gives us time to reflect as white women because who voted trump into office how many white women voted against their better interests right right and a lot of her era is a lot of like a reflection of like authoritarian regimes yes, taking over. Like we had obviously Trump America, but then they also dealt with the whole Brexit situation yeah. in in England and a lot like I think it says a lot that Yasmin is one of her companions because of um she's a woman of color and well not only that, but um, she's also from Middle East descent. And she's also queer. Yes, that's also important as well. No, but I um Jodie Whittaker as a doctor in this episode is modeling how to sit in our discomfort because the first you have to be actively anti-racist and because everyone is born racist, it's how society has been like it's how we function right and right now if you're not actively fighting against it at every moment you are letting it win because um inaction always sides with the oppressor right that's true um and it is a great episode and And we get some martin luther king action in it um i just like that I was like when Ryan's like, no, I just kind of got the bus thing mixed up. Like I'm not, I'm not 
totally like yeah and this is she her companions for her seasons and he has the kind of like um disability where um his motor skills aren't as fine right which um, we learn like when we meet him yeah and she has um pretty much just the same companions all throughout a run except we do switch ryan and graham but we have ryan we have graham who is uh graham is uh ryan's grandfather we meet also his grand ryan's yeah. grand nan oh nan thank you nan um because he's not really raised by his mother or father um although we do meet i think his father later on he's mostly raised by his nan um and we yes her in the first you, episode you make they make you fall in love with her in the first yeah. episode and then it's like like that's as big as the stakes have gotten yeah i think so as well yeah and um I, which is a, a big critique of that era is the fact that we i don't feel it. like she got a long enough run to prove herself as doctor i i ugh. but i also agree that it's time to move on as well so i would be interested if maybe she comes back again and she's been open to it. I think that that I think her coming back yeah. and having better material for her, because I think that, in my opinion, there are a lot more skippable episodes with her than any other doctor. Yes, but like with her, there's this sense of honesty and like, just like she, I think more than any of the other doctors, kind of maybe wishes she was in. More yeah. so than enjoyed being around humans, she wants that. She wants to get in with the lingo. She wants every part of it. And I think if given the chance, she would go human. I also think because Capaldi spends so much time on his own or with one companion, that, oh, or I should say two companions that he loses so tragically, I think that's the choice in which that... Um, Jody decides she wants to have a whole family with her. She doesn't want to just have one person a TARDIS or two people. She decides to get a very crowded TARDIS because... Um, it's bigger on the inside. They can always make room. I think that she, like, logic, uh, not logically, she actively makes the choice that she doesn't... She wants to have as many people traveling with but her. But she still holds them at arm's length. Yes. I'd say even more so than Capaldi. But I think it's almost because, because of in reaction to right. So I really hope that with this next doctor, and I don't mean David Tennant, that they learn to really hold people close again and that even though you get hurt, ultimately it's worth it. It's the most worth it in the world. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what the result of the ultimate um what what the future holds and what after these three episodes now how long will we have to wait between the three episodes and the new season uh i'm not sure i know that they're gonna show them in 2024 if i were to guess i would say either late summer early fall and my feeling all... is that we're gonna get a christmas episode be it Old or new, could be anyone really. Now that they've opened up, your face can come back at any time. They could be anyone. Obviously not Eccleston because he's like fuck y'all, but 
anyone else, it could be them. But because I don't feel like a Christmas episode is the proper way to show a doctor to start. That's how they did it with uh, David Tennant to begin with. Oh, yeah. It was Christmas Invasion. This is the very first episode. I'm just saying. So, uh, well, then maybe. Maybe, but. And a lot of Regenerations would, have episodes have been. I would think it's going to happen in the Christmas season. I think that they're going to do these three epi- these three specials, and it's going to count as the, the holiday mm-hmm. thing. And I don't think we'll see... I think we'll see him regenerate at the end of the third. Um, but I don't think we'll see a proper episode length with him until the end of summer, beginning of fall. But I do have great news to start with that, though. They're already filming the second season with him. So it means that we're probably going to get Doctor Who 2024 and 2025 instead of like these gap years, which have been horrible. Yeah. You know, that's been, it's been, I think, almost like two full years since we had a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. Um, we're back at your other place. Yep. Yeah. That's how, that's how long it's been. Um, I also, um, want to mention the just a couple of the transition things with Jody with the, the changes to Chibnall. I think it's been a lot more earthbound. I think it's been a lot more uh I think there's a big loss with Murray Gold leaving. He does he is coming back though for the specials and then for with uh, RTD. But the composer, I feel like the music had such a big impact on a lot of the episodes. Um I mean, if you just think about the one where Clara leaves and how, like, they use that that theme. I can't think of one specific theme. Like, I can think of the Matt Smith, bum, 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 bum. Those are all memorable themes. All of the whole, I can't think of one memorable theme that Jody's run had. Yeah. And I feel like that that is one of the biggest tools in there. And their their TARDIS toolbox. I do believe she'll be the most forgettable Doctor, and I think it is that lack of tie to the music because I don't know how you function, but every song that I've ever heard, I know what I was doing when I first listened to it. Um, It's just, I guess, that's my cute fun thing that I can do instead of seeing in my head. But like, I mark time with music, and I think a lot of people do too. And I think that having like nothing very um memorable as a theme has really been a problem she has been a doctor for a long time she just hasn't had a lot of episodes that's been the biggest problem so like she has been the doctor for like five years that doesn't count though but I, i'm just saying yeah. but it, it was just, more like she's barely had more than Eccleston. screen time yeah she's i think two more seasons in eccleston but i i get what you mean and also the fact that there have been so many gap years hasn't helped either um, one thing I do want to state, uh, before we get to the next one, I think a large problem also, and I was telling, I was telling you about this last night, is I feel like that they tried, they were very, very safe, which we talked about, there was very low stakes with her doctor, but then the times when they tried doing things different, they went really big with it. Like they changed the entire lore of what her being a time lord was. They made her like this timeless child from another universe that the Time Lords used and manipulated so they could become Time Lords. 
Well, yes, and then I think we're about ready to jump into the the Jadoon on the moon on the moon and the yes, where we introduce Doctor Ruth, who bad is bad ass. Oh yeah, badass! Incredible episode. Has no time for her other self. <laughs> Probably the the top Commanding five episode. Doctor. Um, just the the way they do the reveal that like nobody expected it. We get Captain Jack a bit again. Uh, the Jejun is so fun. So I have a hot take. Dr. Ruth is way more memorable than Jodie Foster. Jodie Whittaker? Whittaker, sorry. <laughs> My head is broken. See, so... And, like, it's not... Like, I love her. And, like, of course I love that she's a woman. Like... Right. She could be utter trash, and I would still love her. Just the fact that, like, they took that step. But, oh, it's just... I think, and so going back in time, I think that I know what you're going to, yes, you know, too. If she would have followed up Smith, Interesting. she could have made her own and then we could have gone to Capaldi. That would have been an interesting choice. You want to, my hot take on top of your hot take, this is a thing, but you're going to just Our come with me. You're going <laughs> to. Stick with me on this TARDIS, okay, while we go through this. I think that the character, the way, the attitude and everything that Dr. Ruth was as the Doctor is the way they should have written Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. Because she would have stood out. And then she could have softened later, just like Capaldi. We we, we had this conversation. This is all off of a branching point. From uh, a wonderful podcast called The House of R that has Jonah Robinson and it has um, uh, Mallory Rubin, uh, where Mallory <laughs> sat and watched all of Doctor Who in preparation. <laughs> Sounds like uh, a great idea in preparation for this new um, Who that we're getting. Uh, but they brought up, and both. Um, Women, you know, like identifying women, pronoun both of them, she, uh, her, um, stated that one of the things that stands out, you know, when you have a female doctor or a woman, a, doctor, a woman in the role, like Jodie Whittaker, who is a fantastic actress and does her best with the material she's given. You all right? <laughs> this might be my last podcast. All righty. No dying. Uh, no regenerations. Water is right there. I don't need water. It was too watery. Oh, water is too watery. Interesting. It's down in my lungs. Oh, God. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. It's fun. But anyway, as I was saying. Edit it out, self. Um, with, 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 with the character of the doctor being very passive. The 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 character of the of the doctor being um you know anti weapons and I'm currently laughing because in order to save myself from choking, I am taking. You're saying you're the one saying this. Nutella. You're the one saying this. I mean, was gonna, <laughs> My I, eyes are wired. I was gonna out you like that. Out. Um, I know. I believe you. Just um. So anyway. Because, like, seeing a man in that role is different than seeing a woman in that role. 
because a man is usually someone who's more aggressive, someone who's take charge. Um, so when they sit back and they let things happen, you're like, oh, wow, like a, a man wasn't aggressive. Now, having a woman not be aggressive and kind of that's almost like an expectation of that gender. Very much take um, any role Melanie Linsky's done. Oh, how she's acted against type. Except for Yellow Jackets, because Yellow Jackets, she's quite aggressive. But but she has oh, that she has no. that calm demeanor. I would say that... she has a calm demeanor, but she always acts <laughs> against type. Yeah. Where like it seems calm, but like she's very seething with rage in a lot of her roles. Um, which again, that, that would have been a great idea. Melanie Linsky in make, Doctor Who, yes. No, but they make Jodie Whittaker's Doctor very, very passive. Also, when do we get Olivia Coleman? Uh, she's actually in an episode of Doctor Who. She's in the 11th hour for like two seconds. Okay, but like, she'd make a great Doctor. She would. Obviously. Like, fabulous. Yeah, she would. Like, especially, it. like, that was the only good role on um, Secret Invasion, was her role. And... The way I bet the way Olivia Coleman would have played it would have been like Dr. Ruth to circle back to what we're saying. And I think the reason why Dr. Ruth stands out so much is because as the doctor, she's super take charge. She's like, I know what I'm doing. She has freaking guns. She has no time for anybody. She has no, she's just like, no, like I, with, with Jodie Whittaker, and it's not the performance, it's what the material she's given. She's very passive. She's very much like, like you said, Tenant is a good example. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Like, meanwhile, Dr. Ruth has no excuse. Like, there's no excuses, no apologies. I don't think she's apologized once in no, her life. No, she's just like, fuck it all. I know what I'm doing. What are you doing? You're an idiot. Um, You know? And then obviously all the things that they do with the lore. Kind of what I also <laughs> expected Capaldi to be. Right, but he he can be like that, but then also passive, and you're like, oh, look at the range. She, you know, you could do that, but it just seems passive for her, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, I think she's a she's a terrific doctor, but she just lacks the material, and I think that they, I wish, I wish they had allowed her to watch Doctor Who. I wonder, like what she would have brought to the role differently if she had seen what other incarnations were like. Well, I'd say she's easily in second place for most impactful doctor, just of the You're new right. series behind um, a tie between Capaldi and Tenet. Because she's brought things that neither Eccleston nor Matt Smith have brought. And, like, maybe, is that just because she's a woman? Maybe. But that's such an important step. Right. And... It's going to be remembered in that way. So you might right. not remember how she was as a doctor, but you will remember she was the first woman doctor. Um, with that being said, and now that we've talked about all of them. and On our seven-hour podcast. Right. I want to go now to just a couple of quick questions. I know. Well, the first thing I want to do is I want to just tell are you we, the... Are we chat GPTing? the keywords for each doctor. So I put keywords describing so-and-so actor as Dr. Who. So let's start with Christopher Eccleston. This is what they told me. Each one generated like five or six keywords. 
keywords describing Christopher Eccleston as Doctor Who. Eccentric, edgy, intense, survivor, damaged, compassionate. Yeah. Keywords describing David Tennant as Doctor Who. Charming, charismatic, witty, energetic, emotional, determined. Keywords describing Matt Smith as Doctor Who. Quirky, energetic, whimsical, youthful, clever, and compassionate. Well, the other thing I do want to say about Matt Smith's era is after a lot of the sci-fi, what's really fascinating about his, especially first season, maybe first two seasons, is it almost has like a fantasy element to it with like how he meets Namelia Pond. The, he, she's in a bedroom. Like, 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 there's a crack on the wall in her bedroom. There's like, he's like the um, Prince Charming. Not only he's not only just Prince Charming, but he's he's the um, the the friends, the imaginary friends. Yeah, it's a story. Like, and then like a lot of the that season is very like, oh, here's the like the story of how. This happened, and like, if well, he has a great um... first episode, yeah, introduction, yes, introductory episode. What were you gonna say? Oh, okay. So I definitely understand the take of Matt Smith's Doctor, and it, like, I'm not saying that it's any less good than any of the other Doctors, as it probably has come off during part of this podcast for me, but um, it's it's kind of like all of these seasons and all that we see and all that we learn of these doctors is like a long therapy session of one doctor. One oh, person. 100%. And right now he's in the reparenting himself phase. He is learning that childhood trauma and he is, he's like, what am I going to eat? Fish finger and custard. Right. What am I going to wear? I'm going to play dress up. He's just youthful and right. so in love with life. And he's like, I don't even care. I'm just going to party. I'm just going to have fun and i'm gonna live forever and yes and he's just like he's he's in his like i'm gonna go out and drink and like play around every night um and so watching it back now is like wow like some things he do can seem a little annoying like you're like calm down buddy you're okay he's very much like age regression doctor he's very much like luke became the doctor well i think what that's also why a lot of like matt smith i would say is the second most popular doctor because it draws the young people in right i think that david Tennant drew in a lot of the the adults who grew up watching Doctor Who and loved Doctor Who and was like, what if he was suave and like just super handsome like, and charismatic? And then I think a lot of teenagers who started watching Doctor Who on Netflix were like, oh my God, I love this guy because he thinks like I do. Yeah, like Luke's been saying he wants to watch Doctor Who with us. Now he has kind of gotten a sampling of all the doctors walking in and out watching some of the shows. I would absolutely start him on the regeneration episode and start him with Matt Smith. Cause there you go. 
fun, quirky doctor, pretty girl, um, another youngish guy, like, and he's gonna care so much. Like, I've never met anyone more so than Luke who needs to connect with his source material or he's not going to use it. Right. I'm gonna finish with the last two. So, keywords describing Peter Capaldi as Doctor Who. Sexy. Intense. Rough. Cynical. Compassionate. Intellectual. And unpredictable. I think that Smith is more cynical. Interesting. I think underneath. But he doesn't present cynical. I know. I think Capaldi does, but but he's hopeful. Yeah, when you're cynical, you don't have that hope. Which is the difference between the two. So that's funny because ChatGPT is like very, like. It's always surface level. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's very surface level. Now we could tell it to watch all those episodes and it would give us a different result. Maybe. But this is not a ChatGPT podcast. Um, last one was, <laughs> is Jodie Whittaker. Um, and describing Jodie Whittaker as Doctor Who. Energetic, optimistic, yeah, empathetic, yeah. inclusive, determined, and adventurous. I like that they picked adventurous because mm-hmm. she's the only one that got that. Um, so because I do think she's very much just there to have a good time with her friends. She wants to help people. She's the more aged version of Matt Smith. While she acts more like um tenant, um just because that's how they sort of are. Um she's just as excited as him, but it comes with more life experience and maturity. She took that what how many years? Seven thousand years or whatever that he no, 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 not Capaldi. When Matt Smith got old? How old oh, I don't remember. Well, Build the years on Translore and Found of Christmas. Yeah. I don't remember the specific one. It was well, a lot of years. Yeah. So he learned stuff during then. And I think she's finally putting it to use. But reverting back to that sense of wonder. Like, I've been old and cynical. Now I want to take the time to have adventure with Okay, perfect, perfect example. Matt Smith just got to middle school. You're saying Jody's in high school? No, Jody's in college. Okay. High school, but but it's it's that cusp. Because in middle school, you're too cool for everything. Obviously, you know this. And then, somewhere along the way, life is getting too hard. Things are too serious. And you know what? You just want some dino nuggets. You just want to get your own ball pit and play in it. You just want Bits to. And custard. Yes, you just want. What does she eat? Mm. You just I want. Just know Capaldi does yes. not eat pears. They're too squishy. They're too squishy, and they get down your chin. Yeah, should <laughs> write that down. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um. But yeah, she's gotten to a place where she embraces it. So let's go definitive doctor rankings. Not to cut you off, just so that like we have the rest of the day to do other things. We um, need to do our other podcast yes. and watch Doctor Who because Doctor Who has just sucked our entire day. Um, 
So you want to do bottom to top or top to bottom? Um, okay, we all know Eccleston is the bottom. Yeah, I do love Eccleston. He doesn't have long enough, to, long enough to, to impact on the world. And then it's Matt Smith. I would agree. Then it's Jody. I would also agree. And then they're tied. I, I know would, you. I would go Tennant and then Capaldi. You can't do that though because Tennant is the Doctor Who. So if you're really ranking it in a way that matters and not just on your personal personal fifis, you've got to go with Capaldi then Tennant. Yeah. But I am also with the feels, so I am firmly fine with saying they are tied. <laughs> um, shout outs, I guess, to companions. You have, I know you said we love Donna, we love Bill. Anyone else? Um, Second time around, you like Rose a lot more. Yes. So I'm, I'm curious to watch more of hers. Um, I'll be, of course, I think in my downtime, we're like in the background while I'm doing other things while I'm writing. I'm going to be playing the series over and over. Um, yeah, and that might get Luke in too, but. Yeah, um, I really like Amy. I don't like um, Amy as much. <laughs> um, just because I wish that they gave her more of a personality. Yeah, she reminds me of me. So, but she does not remind me of you. Okay, when you first met me. Yeah, maybe. I know. I've been. I've done like crazy personal growth and everything, but she was me before I was me now. So before I regenerated into the amazing person I am now, she was the flawed as fuck version of me who couldn't really communicate properly, who couldn't... Self-sabotaging? Okay, how many times did I try to break up with you for, like, no reason and try to save you from being with me? Come on now. Hey. It's rules. You should run while you have the chance. Yeah, yeah. That ties perfectly into Doctor Who. Yes, run. But yeah. And I would almost venture to say, in the beginning, you were more Rory. And now you're more Capaldi. Maybe. Um, you were very... I like Rory. I like more than Amy. Yeah. You were very passive. Yeah. You weren't sure of yourself. And now you're everyone's go-to guy for everything. Um, great power comes great. Don't say it. <laughs> move on. so so again, like you said, we both really like Don. We both really like Bill. Bill is great. Unfortunately, we didn't watch the episode, but Bill is our girl Martha got done amazing. dirty. Um, I'd say I like Rose. Martha's yeah. I think that the characterization of Raymond Egmont, I think, is a Really good actress. I should like Yaz. I should, I should, I should, I should, I should. But she's a fucking police officer. Ah. Um, I like... You love Graham. Graham out of, out of Jody's I group. don't particularly love Ryan, but I love the combo of the three, the four of them together, honestly. Yes. I think they make great. such a good nuclear family. They do. They just... Handsome Dan is fun, too, in the later seasons. I don't remember. Really? That's the one. You know, remember when they did the whole arc for oh, I forgot what it was called. It was an extremist. They did the the last Jody season 
had Graham and Ryan leave, and this other guy comes in. Oh, and it looked like he was going to kind of date Yaz, but he has a person. Yes. Who's, yes. yes. Who's, he's interested in, and because he's in this one town from, um, I think it's the same town that Chibnall's from, and he loves the town so much he just volunteers to be like the tour guide at that town. Now, how in the museum? How do they choose their companions? Just so by circumstance, and then they're like, "Hey, I like spending time with this person," or is it more nuanced than that? Contract. No, not like that. But how 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 would you as a doctor find companions? Oh, would you maybe have? I think this is maybe going to open up to a whole podcast where we just throw out all the ways that you could just decide that somebody is your companion. Well, I had a couple of questions related to that that I want to fit at the end of this one. Uh, that I was hoping we kind of do rapid fire, but we were very bad at doing rapid fire. Um, I think just like in the Doctor's Wife, when the TARDIS tells him. That I don't take you where you want to go, but I take you where you need to go. I think he finds these people exactly at the same time that he needs to find them, or she needs to find them, and that they need to find the doctor. So they're more so filling a role, and then they learn from there. So they don't know what makes them special until after. It's more like... And especially like things like... It's like, okay, so like on a dating site where you have matches... And but then, I don't think the doctor is swiping right. I think the doctor... No, it's not like that, but it would be like this person could fit into your life. Right. So it's like potential, so the angels would feed off of it. I think... I think I think also, like, one of the things that the doctor is drawn into and states several times is almost like the... just the sheer ordinariness of some of the companions. Like Rose, who's just this teenager who works in a shop. Uh, Donna, who's just this temp worker who, uh, like, is in her mid-30s. You know, like, um, Amy, who's just, like, this Amelia, who's just this girl who meets an imaginary friend. Grandpa Graham. Uh, It's not really into someone like Clara, where she has, like, a full-time job and she also is the impossible girl. So you're trying to say that your work is tied to your job. No, no, no. I'm saying that the show is saying that these regular people are special in the same way that another multiversal storytelling story like Everything Everywhere All at Once, the main character is special because of her ordinariness. How she's not extraordinary at anything which her makes her most the most extraordinary person. I don't love that theme. But it, it but it's a thing that they're definitely using. No, for sure. But like it's like fucking ba- boy band songs that are like you're beautiful because you don't know you're beautiful. Like yeah, yeah. And but, I don't jive with. But that. it's also like it's a very fantasy element of like that person who's ordinary is destined for greatness. I prefer to ascribe to chosen ones other than versus you're great because you're nothing. Like I, I don't. But you're you're great because you think you're nothing. But then you find out in circumstances of dire, you are greater than anything else. 
because all these people have reached their potential, but you haven't even. I'm just telling you that's the, that's the trope that they're no, exploring. No, I'm just saying okay. that I hate that trope. Oh, uh, well then and you if don't I ever, write that. If I ever write that trope, smack me because it was disgusting. I want. But that is that's a very common science fiction and fantasy trope. Though. Because I like the part of the journey where you think you're the chosen one, and then you're like, why in the world would they choose me? Because you you do it in both times. Why in the world would you choose me? I'm nothing. Or right. why in the world would they choose me for this? Or am I that good? So it like leads to like self reflection and like. But you're asking about how the companions are chosen. Yeah, I know. And I think a lot of it is through banality. Like it's just through like. Hey, these are, and a lot of these people are bored with their own life. They're, they don't have much of a life to get to. Or so like an they, alien came to Earth and they were there. <laughs> right. Um, so. In my head, this minute, this part was supposed to be like five minutes to talk about Jodie Whittaker's doctor. Well, and was, we are nearing the 50 minute mark. <laughs> um, if you. Could choose any of the companions to travel with. Who would you choose? I travel with a doctor, not a companion. Okay. If you were the doctor <laughs> and you were to choose any of the companions to travel with, who would it be? Clara. Okay. And I don't like her, but I want that relationship. I want to feel that. Like, I feel like that's what we have. Okay. So, like, that's who I would choose. Okay. You want to go with Graham, don't you? I'd probably go with someone who's more capable than Graham. Not that Graham isn't capable. I feel like Donna and I would either really love each would other be, or hate each other. Would it be a cheat to to, to choose River Song? Yes. Because that, that no. would be the best person to travel you with. You would have all the tea. No, but that would be the best person to travel with because, like, they, like, even if I messed up, like, they'd be able to fix it. No. <laughs> Um, Try again, buddy. Martha would be great because she is very capable. That's not a word I would think to describe her. She, but she is extremely. She's a doctor herself, and she travels the whole like when the doctor is trapped by the master. She travels the whole world in order to to save the doctor. Weirdly, the world, the word that comes to mind with her character is pathetic. What's that? I know, but it's, like, it's what was left. What? So you shouldn't put that on wax. <laughs> but I think it's just like the sadness and that unrequited love. Yeah. Um. But I'm very much I don't view things like what they do, so I don't care that she's a doctor. I feel like that's a very capitalist way to approach things. To like your job is what defines you. Not that that's what you were saying, but I feel like I think so her, her she, determination. And like the ta like the things that she had gone through, define her. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, she does. She is a medical doctor. She knows. I mean, who's going to be able to patch me up? Is it going to be Donna or is it going to be Martha? <laughs> Donna could. No, Donna and I would just like never do anything. Like we would just like people watch and like it would be fun too, but it wouldn't be as helpful. Um. But who said you wanted if to help? You the, just wanted to travel. If you're the companion, which doctor would you choose to travel with? I think that I couldn't get past some of Capaldi's moods and I would just be uneasy. So while I think he'd be really cool to be with, I think it would be... I feel like Capaldi would scare me. Yeah. 
I feel like Eccleston would would might be might be fun. I feel like Tennant would be awesome to travel with. I feel like Smith would annoy me. That would be exhausting. I will be hiding in the I car probably seat. would travel with Jody. Because I feel like that they're That's because the you want to travel with Graham. <laughs> she's the you just most compassionate and understanding that took the long way around. Yeah. Um and I feel like that she would be the least like she'd be very compassionate. She hasn't really fucked over any companions. Like I wouldn't have to worry about like losing my memory or being trapped in a parallel universe. <laughs> Looking at you, Tenet. Um I feel like she put the companions through the least amount of... I think if I'm being, like, honestly truthful, I'd have to go with Capaldi, though. I feel like we would really get along, and it would be similar to, like, a Clara situation. Mm. Um, let's see. What else do I want to ask you? Um, If you were able to travel with the... So you would be the companion, not the doctor? Well, absolutely. I could never be a doctor. Okay. I would, I would definitely be the doctor. Like if I like if that was the choice I had. So then you would only get a human span of life with me, and that's it. I mean, but then I can keep going back in the past, and then just redoing it over and over again. That'd be fine. Or I can just I keep you in that one second before yeah. your life ended, and then I would just you know like travel with you forever. I mean, we'd burn up the universe, but it'd be fine. Um, but no, I'd definitely be the doctor. Um, are there any stories that we didn't cover that you really liked that, um, yeah, that come to mind? The Dalek one. Okay, where so. There is a Dalek. Where, yeah. Where did they get the eggs, though? <laughs> For the souffle? I don't remember that. Oh, okay. I do remember it now that you just said it, but I didn't remember it beforehand. Yeah. Um, I think we could kind of be cute and add some of these to the next one, but this episode is long. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> if you could have taken anything from the set, what would you take? The TARDIS. <laughs> the whole con like a whole console or the whole TARDIS? It's outside. Okay, so the box. Yeah. Okay. Um... The console would be cool, though. Or maybe the intro Wiggly Wooblies. Do you have a favorite? We talked about our favorite regeneration episode. Do you have a favorite regeneration? I don't remember. Really? Okay, we should watch that. And then maybe I'll add yeah. that to the next episode. Um, I have a few. I, well, honestly, no. It's, it's Matt Smith. So that episode? Yeah. But do you remember the way he regenerates from... They, like fall out of the TARDIS and he's going to the ground and he's like I don't want to go. Oh yeah. I don't want to go. <laughs> um, I do also really like Matt Smith's regeneration. Like going to Capaldi. Not the episode, but the the final moments of Matt Smith is really great. I remember when the doctor was me. Oh. Um Capaldi's regeneration is amazing. I had to rewatch Jodie Whittaker's regeneration because I don't remember it. I don't either. All I remember was just going, 
outfit. What? <laughs> what? Because we got David Tennant again. Which, I guess, will bring us full circle to the next time you will hear our voices. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey magic. And it'll sound like we just got back on here again, but we're going to watch the episode again. And then we'll talk about it. But um, unless there's anything else you want to add to this already... Gargantuan! Uh, uh, who special length episode? I think we will. I don't know. I feel like we should make it three hours. And we're at fifty six thirty eight. So one more. Ask me one more question because we we just got to do it. Transition so well. Too bad. <laughs> ask me another question. Okay. Um. Which intro is your favorite? We're going to talk about it, but I think the newest one is the best one. I definitely agree with you there. I was <laughs> like, what? I think the newest one is, is incredible. They're like going through the clouds. I do like Jody's a lot because it reminds me of the whole like um, that phasing thing that they did with the classic Who stuff. We do know that it's not Nine. <laughs> no, but I do like the music for Nine. Yeah. Um. Again, shout out to I really love Paldi's cogs, and then yeah. when it pays off when he's in the castle yeah, and yeah, then yeah. in the thing. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. They do a great job with that. Um, do you have any favorite quotes that we haven't really discussed? Um, actually, let's go favorite villains. Yeah, that's a great one. Do you have a favorite villain? Um, I like... The rhino guys. The dune? Yeah, because they're just, they're silly. Everything about them is silly. Like, I would not be scared of them. They could probably kill me, but I wouldn't be scared of them. Cybermen, I think, are really great. Cybermen, um, yes. Because... When Luke was little, he had a little Cyberman that oh, made sounds that awesome. he kept to them at all times. I like Cybermen. It reminds me a lot of uh, a villain from Star Trek called... The can't believe I forgot it. I can't remember it. It'll get to me. Um, Daleks are classic. Um, Don't ever change your text noise. I know we're in year twenty twenty three. Nobody has a text noise anymore, but do not right. change it to exterminate because you will be scared every time. And then right after that, the one, angels are great. My next question is favorite benevolent being because mine are the Ood. Oh yeah, I like the Ood's. Are the Adipose benevolent? I think they're just circumstantial. I don't think they're really like they're the result of something else. They're not necessarily The Borg. That's what they remind me of in Star Trek, the Borg. Which are like these humanoid characters that are devoid of emotions. Mm -hmm. And because they think that they're superior race because they have no emotions, just oh, like yeah. Cybermen. Um, and they were people, and then they become not people. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the Zygons. But yeah, I love the Ood. Your favorite speech? Um, women's. <laughs> um, probably something David Tennant-y. 
a man can wax poetically, but also Capaldi. That's why they're both tied. My favorite one is... The Recycled Fear Speech. I like that <laughs> one a lot. That was sourced by Clara. Oh no, wait, did she learn it from him? But then she went back and did it, and then she did it, and then he did it. Um, so this is, this is, I'll try not to do the whole thing. Do it all. Uh, this is Capaldi in the Zygon inversion. Um, so the Zygons are these creatures that are living amongst Earthlings. They look like these red creatures with like suckers all over them, but they could turn into anything. They could, they're essentially, um... What did we watch recently? They're like the Shapesmith from, or like Martian from, uh, what is it called? Um, Invincible, where they could look, they could have oh, yeah, any yeah. type of look. Um, I was like, the Changeling? So, Not the Changeling, um, the thing? Yeah, it is kind of like that too. So this is the Doctor's speech at the end of it, because they want to wage war and create a new society based upon the ashes of the humans because they don't want to share the, the planet Earth with them. So the doctor gets him into a room, has a Zygon person, and then I think they have um, Brigadier, um, his daughter, oh, Lethbridge Stewart. Oh, gosh, I forgot her a lot of first name. Anyway, so there's a button. They press it. Oh, yeah, I remember blow it up. So his speech goes like this. Uh, this is Capaldi. You just want to beget cruelty. You're not superior to people who are cruel to you. You're just a whole bunch of new cruel people. A whole bunch of new cruel people being cruel to some other people will end up being cruel to you. The only way anyone can live in peace is if they're prepared to forgive. Why don't you break the cycle? So then the Zygons, why should we? And then the doctor says, what do you actually want? And then the Zygon says, war. So then the doctor goes, ah. And when this war is over, when? When you have the homeland free from humans, what do you think it's going to be like? Do you know? Have you thought about it? Have you given any consideration? Because you're very close to getting what you want. What's it going to be like? Paint me a picture. Are you going to live in houses? Do you want people to go to work? Will it be the holidays? Oh, will there be music? Do you think people will be allowed to play violins? Who will make the violins? Well, oh, you don't actually know, do you? Because just like every other taunting child in history, you don't actually know what you want. So let me ask you a question about this brave new world of yours. When you've killed all the bad guys, and it's all perfect and just and fair, when you've finally got exactly the way you want it, what are you going to do with the people like you, the troublemakers? How are you going to protect your glorious revolution from the next one? Well, I'm just saying, like, it's such a great, it's just such a great speech. Um... I also love uh, the one he gives um, when it's at the end of his first season and he's trying to figure out whether he's a good man or a bad man or anything like that. And he goes, I'm just an idiot in a box with a screwdriver, traveling the world, seeing people, helping people from time to time. It's just like, perfect. I also really like Matt Smith's I'm a madman in a box. Like he's like, uh, he tells Amy, I, I want to tell you something. 
that's going to help you and save your life one day. And I am most certainly just a madman in a box. I just think, like, they give Matt Smith way too many speeches. Um, but I think when they give Capaldi a speech, he just, like, completely eats it. Like, he just is great at it. Um, I know. <laughs> I know it's time to go. But you're the one who wanted to ask me I know, but, like, I feel like we're easily jumping from, like, three hours to, like, how did this get five hours? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like I said, we're going to do a little bit of time dilation for you. We will uh, be back with you sooner rather than later. You'll get to hear our thoughts on the you premiere. You will not even be able to make it through this episode by the time we're back. And probably have posted the other episode. Probably. Because this is over three hours now. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of Doctor Who. That's 155 episodes. And we only did what? Nine? Yeah. But I'm just saying, it's a lot to talk about. It we is. only really talked about nine, but it's a lot. It's a lot of show. You know? But uh, we will see you, I guess, at the end of time. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. And. We will be back quite soon. Goodbye.